Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 124 of Through the Years, the podcast that reviews Ring of Honor show by show from the beginning. My name is Trevor Dame, joined as always by the co-chairman, Matt Feuerstein. And for this episode, as occasionally happens, the janitor shows up, Joe Gagne. <laughs> you might know him from Joe versus the World, the five-star match game. He does something on YouTube where he used to about wrestling video games, Joe's fun time arcade, whatever bullshit he's been on every single podcast you've ever heard of i always make this intro he's he's just done the same things over and over again he never grows as a person he never changes he just keeps showing up here joe it's great to have you on the show <laughs> oh what a, what, a, what a great intro all true i can't uh, i can't deny any of that well, he, well, here, here is here's some news. Uh, since the last time Joe was on the show, we had our once every several years uh, in person uh, chit chat uh, at uh, at AEW World's End, and we hadn't seen each other since 2019. So that was lovely. See, I'm saying nice things about Joe this time. It was lovely. That's right. No, yeah, Matt and I, Matt, Matt picked me out of a crowd because I'm so famous and uh, also <laughs> the oldest person in the world. And he's like, oh, that old man must be Joe. And he was right. So. Um, yeah, no, Matt and I have uh, now seen uh, Ring of Honor shows. We saw Dragon Gate USA and now uh, the Ring of Honor New Japan and now AEW. All, all spanning decades, it feels like. So. Ne- next up, MLW. You ready, Joe? They won't run, they won't run in the North. They won't run in New England, so I don't know what to – Damn. I, I guess I got to get to New York City. There you but, go. Um, no, it's great to be back and very, very short turnaround time as opposed to the usual uh, – sometimes a year-long – yeah, but, but is this uh, no, is this like is this couple... like it is this like it for you now? Are you like done with through the years after this episode? Oh no, that'll be uh, the uh, I, I missed the next couple of Boston shows, but it was uh, Death Before Dishonor, the oh. the Briscoes Generico Steen Boston Street fight. I was at that, and that was I'm going to presume my last Ring of Honor show. You guys will be covering unless you go well into the HDNet era. So we'll assume so. So, <laughs> so I guess my, my character write off, I guess, is the correct term. That'll be that's not for a while. So All I right. mean, one more show after this, but it won't occur yeah. for a while. All right, so we won't you say know. goodbye just yet. Joe, Joe will be with us for for longer. Trevor, I, I want to say one other thing. Uh, this is another one of those weeks where I am once again extremely happy that our podcast does not cover current events. Yes. Um, yeah. Just a lot of just a lot of annoying discourse that I don't want to get into. So uh, I also I, did, I didn't want to have do you know not to have an on air meeting, but I hope you guys realize like we could have Joe on without it being a show he actually was attending, right? Like if, I mean, we, I mean, Joe we, wants I to, mean, we could, <laughs> but why would? No, just kidding. I said I would be no. nice to Joe this time. So. I mean, the way it naturally worked out, it worked out to a nice cadence, but we can always find an excuse. I, I hate to break character here because the character of me disliking Joe has gone is, – is really approaching a good level because I actually have gotten to the point where like – actually, this is a bad point. But like the last time I made a joke on Twitter a couple months ago about Joe Gay, I got, actually got like a comment from someone who's like, wait, is Joe Gagney bad? Like is there, is there a reason you make comments like this? I had to be like, no, no, no. But like, <laughs> like it used to be everyone just got it, but now it's getting to the point like, oh. So – but no. We we value Joe Gagney. In, I mean, we, in, this is a Joe Gagney household. Yeah, I, I could just lie and say I went to these the next couple <laughs> Boston shows. I don't think anyone would would know, but I respect Matt too much for that. So he respects me too much to lie. You hear that, Trevor? You're, somebody respects me. Finally, that's good. That's that, you know what? Finally, I'm, I get I'm, the respect. <laughs> I'm I'm the Rodney Dangerfield of this podcast, and finally, I get some respect. 
<laughs> Matt, I can't even try to pretend I do not respect you. But we got a couple quick little things, and these are both, I would say, these are just a little amuse bouches, or since Joe's here, amuse douches. Um, <laughs> for um, <laughs> this, we, we only have one little news note that happened between the uh, last show and this show, but it, I, I did think it, it's kind of minor, but I do think it forms an interesting pattern. So we'll go from the the observer. Dave wrote at this time of the show. He wrote, "Expect barring injury, the Briscoes to be pushed as perhaps the most focal point of Ring of Honor next year." And I thought that was interesting because I looked over like the Briscoes 2007, and in fact, like they are the tag champs for much of the year. It was it was interesting because I'm sure we can go back and go through the all the years we've done this podcast and find plenty of examples of times Gabe talked to the media and like. It didn't, didn't turn out to be true. But, like, in recent months, it's a reminder that, like, oftentimes Gabe was pretty just, like, forthright and direct about, like, you 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 read the quotes he gives to the newsletters and you can kind – like, not even kind of have to read the tea leaves. He's outright telling directly because on recent weeks we've been – or shows we've been seeing him keep saying over and over again. Like, I don't know how many times we've already seen him saying, like, you know – Morishima. I love Morishima. I'm going to do big things with Morishima next year. And – well, there's a quote later I, I think I have on the show where he's like really praising Nigel and you're starting to see that more often. Like he's basically telling the newsletters and, you know, everybody's basically priming the pump and saying like, hey, it's going to be the Briscoes. It's going to be Nigel. It's going to be more Shima next year. Like, and this was not an uncommon thing where he'd basically tell you like, this is what I'm going to start pushing really hard in a few months. Yeah, so he, was, he was, was pretty like, honest yeah. about his booking intentions. I'd say probably a little bit less honest about like ROH business. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> but in terms of like what he plans to do with booking, yeah, he was. I guess he didn't see any reason to to uh, lie about it. And then the other thing, I on the, I believe the last episode I debuted my award winning new segment. It's not it's not the Mad uh, the Mad F Trophy segment, but it is uh, down to the wire where we review anything pertinent from uh, the video wires that between shows. And I saw the last show that was, you know that there might not be much to these. We'll play it by ear depending on how much um, noteworthy stuff is on them, Matt. This is my entire – I watched the video wires between the last show and this one. This is the entire segment this time that of all the video wire, what I thought was notable of the show, which was I wrote down during a promo, Brian Danielson, Samoa Joe wants to make, quote, fat, sloppy Samoan challenges, unquote. That's all I have. I thought it was funny that he said fat, sloppy Samoan challenges. Have you ever made a fat, sloppy challenge? That's, um, a, that's a Brian Danielson quote? Yes, if you find the video wires, I do not have the direct date, but if you search for the video wires for this time frame, you too can hear Brian Danielson say the phrase "fat, sloppy Samoan challenges." Um, that happened, but anyway, that's the one notable thing. If you missed the video wires for these weeks, you did not miss anything else. Well, I think but, I don't know. I don't know if Brian was a vegan yet at the point of this uh, of this um, uh, video wire or this this uh, event that. Happens in Boston on this night, but if he wasn't, he could have cut that promo while eating a sloppy Joe to really make the promo sound extra sloppy. <laughs> Man, I've had a sloppy Joe probably, you know what, in a good, you know, in the right amount of time since I was <laughs> a kid. That's probably the right amount of time to have not had a sloppy Joe. But um, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I'm a vegetarian since I since I'm like 22, but I'm almost positive I had not had a sloppy Joe. In the, I would say, 15 years prior to that as well. Well, we have a Joe, sloppy Joe jo- tonight. Yeah, I was going to say, Joe, you're <laughs> a, say it's, yeah, you're yeah, a fairly well Yeah, no, that's, well that's slanderous. Joe. Yeah, no, I'm uh, 
if I ate one of those, it just opens itself up too much to <laughs> stale humor from the likes of Trevor. So uh-huh. I leave that be. Yeah, that's all I can offer. But um, I guess we we should try and review a show today too. So uh, Honor reclaims Boston is the show today. That's a very uh, bold title. We'll get into how correct that is. The Honor Honor right, reclaims to- Boston is the follow up to the original Honor invades Boston, and they're both um, they're both titles that clearly intentionally raise the horrible specter of colonialism with invasions and reclaimings. <laughs> so, you know, I think that was intentional. And, um, you know, I appreciate uh, Ring of Honor drawing attention to uh, to such a blight on the world. Well, it took place November 3rd, 2006 in Braintree, Massachusetts. So already false advertising in front of a report crowd of this is a weird one. The Observer said six. We always go by the Observer, even though we acknowledge the Observer is sometimes we've off, but we, we want to have one consistent um, source for these to compare against each other because it's just interesting. Uh, so, so we always use the Observer. Well, the Observer said 600 fans, and then the next week when they did the results section, they said 650. So I'm going to make an executive decision. I'm going to do split the difference, 625 fans. Um this was Ring of Honor's first show in the Boston area since Survival of the Fist 2005 in September of, of 2005. So that means this was a basically a 14-month gap between shows. And ironically, Survival of the Fist 2005 being the last show they had done in Boston, in the Boston area, just a few shows before this in 2006, they had done Survival of the Fist 2006 in Cleveland. And that turns out to be the show that kills Ring of Honor in Cleveland for a couple of years. So maybe Survival of the Fittest is just a cursed brand. But yeah, uh, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that at least in that era, Survival of the Fittest was not that over. I mean, uh, and they, they, they do it again next year in, I think, wasn't it like some, like in Las Vegas? Like it was fa- fairly random location, but yeah, it never really seemed like, I think we talked about this when we reviewed Survival of the Fittest, but people did not get that excited about Survival of the Fittest. So maybe that was the problem and not the, uh, and not the, the markets. I don't know. Could be. But, the, 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 you know, we'll get to quotes later from Gabe. They were used. This was obviously a big success for the B show to draw over 600 fans when, you know, some of these markets they were cutting were sometimes struggling to get to 400. You know, that, that's a good attempt for the Friday night B market show. So it shows, I think, you know, Boston area fans did miss the company. This is well, a decent well, card, not an absolutely amazing card on paper. Well, Joe, do you think the big draw here was just that Kenta was going to be in Boston? I thought Kento was a big deal. And I know personally for me, just where I was situated, they were still running shows in Connecticut. It's not like we were completely shut off from Ring of Honor in the New yeah. England area. And for me, it was like, you know, this show is like a 60-minute drive. Connecticut was like 75 minutes. So it wasn't drastically different. Now, if you live in like Maine or something or where you're situated, yeah, that would make a big difference. Maybe a Connecticut show is not feasible where a, a Boston area show would be. But I just, I think it's funny, like, yes, we're back. And I was like, I was at a show less than two months ago and not that, you know, not, uh, not that far of a drive, but, uh, well, this, but it was one, good this, this one has the benefit of being inside a building. Yes. Yes. This was, <laughs> this one had, was a, in a building, which is always, well, usually a plus, but yeah, in, in this night, it certainly was because, uh, I will say Nigel kind of mentions in his pre-match speech, like, thanks for braving the weather. That didn't mean it was snowing. It was just absolutely freezing that night. And I know you think, okay, November in Massachusetts. Yeah, it's probably pretty cold. But I believe we were around like zero degrees outside. So it was like – And that's like – and that's the beginning of November. Jesus. Yeah, that was the be- – it was just – I remember this was as cold. I don't remember if the building itself was cold, which might explain some of the subdued crowd reactions at times during the night. But yeah, no, it was, it was a very cold night. So Yeah, well, speaking of cold night, I mean 
the, I mean, I don't, I don't really buy that the temperature explains the subdued crowd reactions because I don't know if you've been following through the years lately, listeners, but this is a trend of the fall of 2006. It was nothing but a booking of a bunch of shows in places with broken air conditioners that were just overactive. That That's all has to be. But <laughs> a Ring of Honor did kind of reclaim Boston. Like I will say, I, I think I looked, I looked at the schedule. I kind of forget, but I think they run like three or four shows in Boston. I think maybe four in 2007, but then they run like three or something in, in 08 and two in 09. So it, it almost immediately starts to dwindle again. But, but like, they it will be a somewhat regular B town stop for like the rest of our podcast run. They 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 do not leave for fourteen months again during our tenure. But yeah, I mean, um, it makes sense for them to wander in Boston. I mean, first of all, isn't Gabe from the Boston area, and that's why he says things like popcorn. And this was also the first market they ran outside of Philly. This was the very yeah. first market they ever mm-hmm. branched out to. So yeah. Um, so we got a couple of dark matches, and I'm going to get a chance to, for people that don't know, Matt and I have been on Joe's podcast, the five-star match game, a few times, where I routinely get embarrassed, and Matt and our friend Justin Shapiro get to show how much they know about WWE. Um, but I'm going to get to play with you guys for one question, uh, the six-star match game, because we have to be better, and Dave Meltzer has broken the system scale. So I'm going to read a dark match. And I'm going to then ask you a question based on that dark match. It's a one-question quiz because we cut out the bullshit, uh, clearly with this preamble. Um, Matt, if you want to buzz in, say Matt. Joe, if you want to buzz in, say piece of shit. And uh, we'll get to it. So um, That's too far even for me, Trevor. <laughs> how, how, dare you, how dare you make me say my own name? <laughs> All right. So I'm going to uh, – so this was the dark six-man tag match in, on this show. Bobby Dempsey, Mitch Franklin, and Rhett Titus defeated Alex Payne, Ernie Osiris, and Thomas Penmanship. Who is Thomas Penmanship better known as today? Trevor Day. Uh, that would be a <laughs> current WWE superstar, uh, Tomato Chomper uh, himself. So, Tommaso Chompa. God damn you. God damn you, Gagney. You've gotten me twice. If you're, uh, you think you're going to out-trivia Joe Gagney, <laughs> you, are, you are sorely mistaken. I knew, when, well, I knew when I was put up against Joe I wasn't going to have a chance at this one. But yeah, uh, Tommaso Ciampa, yeah, this is – he does not become like any kind of – he does not get brought back any time for years. And uh, but he, was yeah, a, he, was a lo- he was a local like New England indie guy, right? Like that was like his, his home base back then? Yes. I think yeah, so. He was and a, this was a Boston guy. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember nothing of this match. I remember the name Thomas Penmanship. Even if he had gone on to do nothing, I would still remember that, that name from that show because I'm like that's – that's, it's a stupid name, but I will never forget that name, Thomas Penmanship. So that sounds yeah. like a Chikara name. Like, kind of does. I can't. I remember if he did like a. Yeah, I, I picture him wearing like a graduation cap to the ring or something like that. But I don't think that was the case. I think he was just a guy. So like that was his like main like gimmick name that he went by everywhere at that point. I do declare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so um. Our other dark match was Shane Hagedorn defeating Pele Prio, which was basically, you have to feel like, was like the Rock Austin of the uh, Ring of Honor preschools. I mean, pre-show student <laughs> loop at this point. Because, Ring, of I mean, Honor, Hagedorn... Ring, of Honor, Ring of Honor preschool. They, uh, they shake hands before and, <laughs> after, before and after they play tag. Is that like Camp WWE for Ring of Honor? <laughs> sounds yeah, like, I it sounds like quite an idea, honestly. I definitely would want like an ROH baby spinoff where it's all the ROH stars as little kids. And then 
I don't want to make a Rob Feinstein joke, so never mind. Let's move on. Um. Anyway, we. I think I think you just made one, Trevor. We we open with Nigel McGuinness. Uh, he comes to the ring back from a tour of Noah. I'll be better behaved from now on. Um, he gets a nice reaction on the mic. He goes, so he goes, what's up, Massachusetts? And I just wrote my notes. You know, Nigel's a baby face now because he actually got the location he's in right. Because for those who haven't been keeping up for like months when he was a heel, the whole joke was he did the spinal tap kind of did not know where he is gimmick, you know, um, this is, no, this is by this far the most baby face like he's ever like been. Like he leans into it full on here. Like there's no hint of any sort of heelishness. Like this is the first time he gets to be the guy, which we sometimes see in, in new markets or in this case a returning market, where they send someone out to get on the mic for a second and kind of like welcome the fans to Ring of Honor. It's like the first time he's kind of risen to the level of, oh, you can be one of the ambassadors, you know, that's like welcome back to Ring of Honor. Nigel says, it's great to be back in Ring of Honor and America. And he says, without trying to get a cheap pop, it's great that ROH is back in this area, alive and strong. As Joe pointed out earlier, Nigel says he wants to thank you for coming out and for bearing this weather and traffic. And he wants to give them a present. His opponent's one of their hometown heroes, someone they haven't seen in Ring of Honor in a while, and someone Nigel hopes we see a lot more of here. Spoilers, we don't. (laughs) Yeah, I literally wrote my notes. Spoiler. Anyway, I'll just say it's former ROH Pure Champion John Walters who gets a good pop and a welcome back. And I even wrote my notes, just like Matt said. Spoiler: John Walters would not be in Ring of Honor after this match until 2020. So (laughs) his uh, uh, wish fell on deaf ears. But and speaking of the horrible specter of colonialism, John Walters, the future R.J. Brewer, and his uh, anti-immigration and racist gimmick. So, um, you know, Matt, did, did John Walters earn being blacklisted for Ring of Honor for 14 years with this match, which was Nigel McGuinness defeating John Walters via pinball in 13 minutes, 56 seconds after he hit the Tower of London? What would you think about this? Well, that was a framing that kind of makes it hard to uh, <laughs> to get out of uh, – get of, avoid having that sort of conversation. But um, yeah, I thought that uh, there were a couple moments where Walters – didn't seem as smooth as maybe he had previously. Like maybe he was a little bit nervous being back in ROH. There were a couple of things, but I, I do think that this was a good match. Like I think, first of all, the crowd was into it more than a lot of matches recently. Um, it was, you know, it was a, a fast paced, pure wrestling opener kind of thing. I almost thought it was like a, a palate cleanser after recent, recent shows because it feels like almost like old ROH in the way that was much needed, like just two guys wrestling each other, two guys that had the respect of the crowd. I, I, I So I appreciated that element of it, and I thought it had a refreshing vibe. Um, you know, there there were a couple things that I would say maybe were a little bit wrong with it. Like Walters, I would say, even plays to the crowd less than he had in his previous run. Like he really doesn't acknowledge the crowd at all, which I, I, you know, was definitely a knock on him and a few other guys in that early ROH era, but I thought it was kind of extreme here in terms of how little he did, Um, especially considering they were into him and he was a hometown hero. I I was just surprised that he didn't really do a little bit more crowd work or anything of the sort. Um, There's a spot where Nigel does like a back kick and elbow drop out of the corner and Walter sort of doesn't see it he sort of sells the uh sells the kick by going up instead of staying leaned over so Nigel has to like push him back down for the elbow um 
So I, I thought it showed a little bit of rust in terms of timing. Not to say that he didn't like look good with other stuff. He, I really liked his uh, tornado divorce court. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I like uh, his. I liked his uh, sit out spine buster where he after he ducked the clothesline. I thought that was really cool. So he does a, he does a bunch of cool stuff. There was one point where he blocks a Tower of London, and then he does like a really botched leapfrog where he just hits Nigel in the face with his crotch, which I thought this would be a cool move if it was intentional, but it definitely was <laughs> not intentional. Um, they yeah, let- I wrote my notes. That might be the first ever shoot tea bag in professional <laughs> wrestling. Yeah, I, I um. I thought they gave Walters a lot, considering this was like a one and done, like where he gets to kick out of a lot of big moves, some of like the bigger near falls we've seen in ROH in a while. Um, and then in the end, uh, Nigel ends up just hitting a couple of tower, Towers of London. He hits one, Walters kicks out, then he does the rope straddle, Lariat, and then he hits another Tower of London and gets the win. I thought the finish was a little bit flat after a few great near falls, but I thought the match was was pretty good, hard-hitting, uh, hot crowd. I thought Nigel's absence was definitely felt on the recent shows that he wasn't when he was in Noah. Um, and I thought Walters looked good in some ways, rusty in others, um, not seeming very confident to engage the crowd. Um, luckily, he didn't have to because the crowd was there for him anyway, but I thought some things about the match were weird. Overall, I liked it, though. I thought it was fun and had a good vibe, and I enjoyed it more than a lot of recent openers. Um, the other thing was I saw Carrie Silken at ringside in green taking photos of his own, so I guess he just really loved John Walters. I don't know why I brought, didn't bring him back then, but uh, uh, yeah, uh, overall, good with some flaws. Uh, Joe, what do you think? I thought it was so interesting that Ring of Honor was kind of trading in nostalgia of a way because I, I know Walters had been gone, I think, a bit over a year and a half since he'd been a regular competitor. But it really felt like he was of a different era, like he's best known for being a pure champion and that title doesn't exist anymore. And I looked back at the original pure title tournament, which happened in this building, or at least in Braintree, and seven of the eight competitors don't compete in Ring of Honor at this point. It's only Jimmy Rave. So I thought it was interesting, you know. A company that's not even five years old yet kind of has this distinct era that Walters felt kind of a part of because he, you know, it's not like he he wrestles a different style, but he does just kind of stand out like, oh, yeah, that guy in a way. But as for the match itself, I thought it was a lot like John Walters, where it was it was good. It was technically very proficient and, you know, a little bit dry. Like they did some very good kind of basic technical wrestling. Uh, Matt kind of mentioned the spot where Walters gave him the (laughs) Nigel the flying crotch to the head, which was funny. And, uh, you know, the crowd does, got into some um, some big kickouts at the end, and, and, which was good. And, yeah, like you said, Nigel gave him a lot, uh, you know, kicking out of the Tower of London, jawbreaker Larry, and then he won with another one. So, like, man, I thought it was good. Not a great, but a, a good opener and, and a nice surprise on the night, like kind of a, a nice little nod to the crowd. I might have liked this slightly more than both of you. Like, and Matt, your review is one of those reviews where sometimes, like, you say things word for word that I was thinking about saying. I, I were pretty much in lockstep on this one, but I would say this is like a really strong, good three and a half. Uh, what you kept saying, like, refreshing, as I would say, I think maybe you and I would appreciate this more as people who've watched the kind of listless last few Ring of Honor shows, where, like you, I thought this was a lot of what Ring of Honor needed that they've been missing on recent shows where it didn't feel like two guys that were holding back at all or going through the motions has had kind of that pop you want from an ROH undercard match, even where, you know, it's not a special match. It's not like a hidden gem or something, you know, anyone's going to remember, but you know, they're, 
working pretty darn hard and pulling out a fair number of stops and the crowds into it and, and lively, you know, this will be, I think we'll get into like an up and down crowd on this night. This was at the start, they were up and, uh, I could have used more matches like this on the last few Ring of Honor shows. You know, there's some good hard hitting. There's a nice level. I would say I thought it was – I didn't know quite as much of the Walters other than the shoot teabag of being rusty as you guys did. But now that you say that, Matt, I think a lot of that stuff does sound out. But I think overall these guys, you know, did a good job with each other. You got some big near falls. Um one thing I will say is if I'm going to give a criticism of this match, which would be I do think we see something in this match from Nigel that we're that, and Matt, you touched on it, that we're going to start seeing more from Nigel and Ring of Honor in general, which is this was a big complaint about Ring of Honor starting around this time, which was matches or even shows that miss their peak, where if you do this, you know, Nigel is, as we've been talking about recently, he's in full blown Noah Nigel mode now where he's about kind of spamming a few of his big finishers, doing lots of kickouts, lots of near falls. Um, and this is one where. You kind of see the good and the bad to that because he gets huge, real big crowd pops on a Tower of London near fall and a rebound lariat near fall. And then he um, – he the, after those two – after the rebound lariat near fall, after doing those two moves, which got like the biggest pop of the match, he then does the move where he puts Walters on like – or his opponent on the top rope and straddles him and then jumps off the turnbuckle and does a clothesline there. And it gets way less of a reaction. And then he does another Tower of London to get the win, and that gets way less of a reaction than the other big near falls. Yeah, even though that's the finish. So yeah, like you, I thought like if he had just – done on one on either the first tower london or the rebound lariat would have been a huge lively finish and it was just like well it's that it's that feeling of oh just a little more just a little more and sometimes you overshoot but i will say this what a refreshing change from recent shows to actually see a wrestler that tries to do too much you know i feel like we haven't had that complaint much lately that's what i was gonna say like like at least at this point i really wouldn't mind some matches that like try too hard and like end up going past their peak just because we've seen so many of these matches where like there's kind of just like a like a I don't want to say lackadaisical but there's just like it feels like a low energy middle of the match and then they do like a minute or two of some hot high spots and then they go to the finish and it's just like well that's that's not enough to make up for the boring part that we just sat through so I, I definitely could use a little more of this before I end up getting sick of it. Yeah, I think that will like the that'll work really well with with what I feel about the main event too, which not tipping my hat, but like another thing where if there's a couple things I can criticize, it's like something else again where it's like it's giving it's giving you during this era what it's been kind of missing for months. I feel the same way about this opener too. Yeah. Um so uh Gabe Sapolsky talked to uh the torch about uh Nigel after this show, and Gabe just said this is the quote I was referencing earlier when I was talking about like the Briscoe stuff and how Gabe can tip his hand. He wrote, McGinnis would top, definitely be the top of the list for most improved. 2006 was a great for, year for him, and he proved he is ready to run with the ball. So, again, Gabe is really, you know, he's pushing Morishima. He's pushing the Briscoes. He's push, pushing Nigel. And shockingly, those will be like the three acts that really get the spotlight in 2007, among others. But um, after the match, we joined Lacey backstage. She said she's not very happy. She told Jimmy Jacobs to stay home tonight because she doesn't want to deal with him right now. She's also pissed that there's a women's match tonight that she's not in as she calls herself the greatest women's wrestler in the entire world. 
She tells B.J. Wentworth that she's not scared of him. His comeback's going to be short-lived. And she says Colt Cabana's going to end up just like B.J. did in the hospital, needing surgery, out of the ring. If she needs to spend a little of that Lacey's Angels money to take care of that, that's fine. And she has all the money in the world. I didn't, reala- the- I didn't realize that was her gimmick, that she was, like, super rich. They never really established that. Is she, like yeah. – is she the new Nana now that Nana's gone? Yeah, like I was going to ask you about, like, is there like a canonical reason like they've ever given for Lacey? D- like oh, the only thing I remember is like when Lacey first like took over Special K and started Lacey's Angels, she made them dress in nicer clothes. Like that's the only thing I think yeah. that would suggest she has money. But like I don't even know if they've, if they've ever said like, oh, she's a trust fund baby or a child. Of, I don't think they've said anything like that. Yeah. And that's the sort, I mean, special K were all supposed to be like trust fund babies, right? Like that was their whole thing. Yeah. So I guess they were like, maybe, maybe she's just rich in like the special K sort of way. So anyway, the, rich kid the, the, ravers, you know, if they could just get it together. <laughs> I still find that funny that like the, when they finally ended the split, the ones that got it together were the ones that kept losing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was so great. Oh, well, we talk about Joe talking earlier about nostalgia for Ring of Honor. I already have nostalgia for that era of Ring of Honor, but um, yeah, me too. The camera then pans down over Lacey's legs as almost every one of her promos during this era ended, and then Lacey has to tell the cameraman to stop being a perv. Which honestly, yes, like it was always weird to see her doing these really angry heel promos where you're like, oh, she's she's coming off as a jerk, which she should be, and then at the end you almost feel sympathy because it's like. Yeah, the cameraman shouldn't be perving on you like that. Like it was like that kind of undercuts what you're doing here. But um, speaking of women not getting their due treatment, Mercedes Martinez then defeated Daisy Hayes via pinfall in only four minutes, 30 seconds after she hit the Fisherman's Buster. Uh, this would be Mercedes' second match in Ring of Honor this year. She'd have three. And then in another one of those crazy things, she would not – Her she's really – Mercedes Martinez is really only having her first sustained run in Ring of Honor ever now in 2023-2024. So like – and she's another person from the New England area. She's uh, introduced as such and gets a decent you know hometown reaction. Uh, Joe, what do you think about uh, – you probably had not – you had seen much of uh, – Mercedes Martinez as a, being a New England area talent? Uh, I wasn't going to a ton of non-ROH independent shows at the time, so I'd probably seen her a few times but wasn't super familiar with her. And as for the match itself, like you said, it was four minutes. There's not a lot to say. Although I thought Mercedes looked really good. All of her offense was either super loud chops or she would just throw bombs, hit big moves like spine busters or this uh, brain buster and a uh, fisherman buster for the win. So, you know, it was, it was solid enough. It was, you know, they're in a tough spot. They're on early. They get not a lot of build and, and hardly any time. But, you know, it was okay for what it was. I mean, yeah, this is the classic Ring of Honor women's position, which is less than five minutes on in what is like the least important song on the show, which is second from the bottom. Because the opener obviously has a level of importance to kick off the show. Like literally second from the bottom is we have as little faith on this match as we possibly could have without putting on the pre-show. Um, Daisy Hayes is, you know, no commentary points out. She's no longer with the embassy, although they've never really done an official breakup angle with her. Like they've done for every other element of the embassy that Jimmy Rave has been losing. But um, I will say, if I did say up to this point in ring of honor history, Daisy Hayes, I would say, has been the in-ring female MVP for Ring of Honor, which is faint praise given how little opportunity the women have gotten. But I say this not to call down Daisy Hayes, but to really put over Mercedes Martinez. I would say in this match, Mercedes Martinez like comp- doesn't just look good. She completely outclasses Daisy Hayes. Like 
a lot of the women we've seen in Ring of Honor, they're almost trying to do too much. And maybe that's because most of the matches are like under five minutes and they're fighting just to kind of prove their entire gender to a company that's like doesn't have a lot of faith in them. But um, the result of that is you get a lot of matches where it's a lot of effort and energy, but like sloppy execution. And I thought what really popped from Mercedes here is she has a lot of the big crowd pleasing moves, but they all hit really solidly and impactfully impactfully in a way that a lot of the women of this era were not hitting. Like she does like a wheelbarrow face buster, a giant spine buster, a great brain buster. She, a fisherman's buster. She does all the busters, but more than that, like they all look like she's just killing somebody. And then in this match, when you see Daisy Hayes control late, she's working just as hard as Mercedes and she's trying to do cool moves. But in terms of hitting them, you just see so much more daylight. There's so much slower. There's more awkward execution. It's just on this night, you see kind of like the difference between someone that really just has like the mechanics of how you hit moves, just rock solid versus someone that has like the ambition, but it's just kind of getting there. And it's, I watch this match, and yeah, it's hard to really review the match as a whole because it's so short. But I would just say, I watch this match, and the biggest compliment I can give is saying, man, it sucks that Mercedes Martinez was not like a regular woman on these shows. Because I know Ring of Honor will have more, a, a little bit more women's action in 2007. It sucks that she wasn't there to be part of it. But, uh, Matt, what'd you think? Yeah, it, I mean, just in general, every time we saw Mercedes then, and, you know, when we watch back now it's like oh man she just stands out so much and you know i know she's considered one of the great american women's wrestlers of the you know the generation but like it's weird how little opportunity she had on like bigger stages like it's hard you know i guess just the timing just didn't work out although you know there were the wwe had plenty of chances to bring her in over in like the 2010s to and do something with her and they you know she had a little cup of coffee there and did some stuff but like never she never really was featured it's just weird. Like it's, I don't understand why she didn't get more opportunities to show her stuff to a wider audience in the U S. Um, but yeah, I mean the one thing about this match, you know, it was too short to be much of anything, but like you said, it was her execution, Mercedes's execution. And basically everything she did was just so impressive and it made the match very enjoyable to watch for that short amount of time that this exhibition of moves took place. Um, so yeah, I'd say it was a net positive on the show, but you know, as always, you wish that they'd actually had a chance to work an actual match. Yeah, uh, when you talk about this being a missed opportunity, you, like how she didn't get picked up by uh, other promotions, it's so when you think back at this era of like indie U.S. women's wrestlers, like it's one of those generations where you look at and go, if they were came along today, like they'd all, so many of these women would have jobs at NXT or AEW right now, right? Like Lacey, I think would Allison danger. I think would Mercedes Martinez. We know for a fact would, cause she has one already now, you know, all these years later when she's, you know, in her middle age, like, I feel like, you know, Sarah Del Rey would have probably had a run somewhere before becoming, you know, she's, I know she's a trainer now, but um, it just feels like, so many of these women who were literally like, there's no better example of like just born in the wrong era where it probably cost them like having well-paying careers and a lot more recognition. Just Right, right. I mean, in some ways, they, you know, like they were like born in an era that was more advantageous for women than the previous one because at least they had shimmer where they could get some notoriety. Although, you know, how much could they have, how much could they that have paid, you know? But I, you know, they, they were able to, have some develop some degree of a following through that whereas you know just like a few years earlier there would have been almost nothing for a lot of these yeah. women wrestlers 
So after the match, Lacey walks to the ring and grabs the mic saying, poor Daisy Hayes. And the crowd chants, die, Lacey, die. Lacey tells Daisy, call, oh, she calls Daisy pathetic, tells her she doesn't deserve to be in Ring of Honor ring. She should have been in the match tonight, not Daisy. The crowd chants, shut the fuck up. Lacey says this is her spot. She slaps Daisy hard in the face before leaving the ring. And later tonight, Daisy Hayes will have an incredible <laughs> rebuttal. And I, I am not overselling this. Absolutely amazing. So the, um, the, we'll get the, to that later. Yeah, the, this segment was interesting because, like, first of all, it was just such like a – a blunt way of getting to a feud between these two. Like Lacey just comes out and randomly says, you know, you're terrible and slaps her. And like, it's just like, I mean, it's fine. It's simple. And it does, does the job, but it's like, it wasn't like they put a lot of thought into like, how do we get into a feud between Daisy Hayes and Lacey? Oh, we'll just have Lacey come out and say she doesn't like her and hit her. Um, but also the segment ends with Daisy just being totally punked out because Lacey slaps her, insults her. And Daisy just stands there while Lacey walks away. Um, it's kind of an interesting uh, setup for that for that angle, but it does you know those two do feud, so I guess it did its job. And I was going to say one other thing, um, Matt, that I, I forgot to mention because you brought it up, and I wanted to get back to it. I think Kerry Silken. I think I saw him taking pictures for like the first few matches. I didn't really look. Was maybe Mary Kate not at the show or something? The who was Ring of Honor's kind of resident photographer? Because I thought it was weird. Like I noticed that too. It's like Kerry sure is taking a lot of pictures. I thought for like the first few matches where normally he's just sitting at a table at ringside. Like I guess maybe <laughs> maybe that was it, or maybe she maybe she wasn't there, or maybe she was late. I don't know. Yeah, it, it was it was weird, but um. Our next match was Christopher Daniels, as scored to the ring by uh, Allison Danger and Matt Seidel, defeating Chris Hero, scored to the ring by uh, Claudio Castagnoli via pinfall in 14 minutes, 38 seconds with a cradle. Uh, normally, I alternate uh, who gets to go first, but Joe, uh, I, I feel like it's not fair to, to use your turn on a match that w- there was very little to talk about. So, Joe, how about you go first for this one, too? What do you think about a match that got three times as much uh, ring time as the last match? I thought this was a ton of fun. I, I know you guys have been really down on Daniel's output during this time as being kind of dry, but Hero's so wacky, I thought Daniel's made an effective foil for him here. And it was, you know, super shtick heavy with Hero doing his, uh, you know, goofball flourishes. And, like, I, I want to pull up Brian Alvarez and be like, they did nothing. For, but by the back half of this match, they were hitting big moves, <laughs> and the crowd was definitely into it. And, and Daniels picks up the win, and you know this isn't a match I think people really would remember or anything like that. And it's really nothing about what you would think about during this era of Ring of Honor. It was a, kind of almost house showish in a way, but that's not. I, I'm, you know, this is like you know, very, very kind of shtick heavy, where you know heroes doing all his goofball flourishes and whatnot. It's not really what you think of Ring of Honor, but it was a lot of fun. And the crowd was, you know, the crowd could be a struggle at times this night. I thought they were really into booing Hero and all that, and uh, I like Hero making fun of Matt Seidel having a Dragon Gate towel. I bet, he was, I bet he was jealous. Like, he should have, you know, made Matt Seidel put that up <laughs> as a stipulation, because Hero's a huge wrestling nerd. Of course, he, yeah. would, be, he would be, uh, he would definitely want that, but um, I also like Seidel telling uh, Claudio he might slap him, too, in the dorkiest manner possible, but in a way that's, that's you know, endearingly dorky and not, not off-putting in any way. Yeah, I, I agree a lot about your points, especially the Chris Hero. Uh, I love Chris Hero's put down. Because, yeah, it is true that Matt Seidel, some wrestlers were kind of like that. Like, And I, I would be too, probably, but it was funny. Like, 
I almost compared to a lot of wrestlers when they got the Ribera Steakhouse jacket from their first tour of Japan. They would not stop wearing it for a while. And I feel like some wrestlers with the Dragon Gate stuff, like when Matt Seidel came back from his first tour of Dragon Gate, he would not stop wearing his own like monogram Dragon Gate jacket and take the talent stuff. And yeah, Chris Hero, if you listen before this match, you can hear Chris Hero say to Seidel, I've got a tell from Dragon Gate. I'm Matt Seidel. And I just thought, okay, <laughs> that is such a like, that was a burn that like if I was Matt Seidel, I'd be like, that's funny with that kind that's a little too close like that, that kind of hurts a little um but yeah I, I agree a lot with a lot of what you had to say joe um like we have been hard christopher daniels lately i was gonna say to matt like matt um i said on the last double shot that those two shows instead of just having one being called um irresistible force it should have been a double shot weekend of a movable object and irresistible force I feel like this match was the immovable object of Christopher Daniels, who's been having the same low energy, technically competent, like workman like performances recently against the irresistible force of Chris Hero, who's been incredibly wacky and just personality turned to a I was like, who's going to win in the battle of this being entertaining or not? And I believe the irresistible force of Chris Hero won. Um, this match, like Joe said, until the final two or three minutes, I thought was shockingly basic. Like, Joe, you described it as like a house show. This is one of the more basic, like, matches until the end you will see from Ring of Honor. Like, we've seen it through the year's history. It's a match where wrestlers are technically doing things, but it feels like they're doing nothing. Like, there's just lulls and low-energy submissions in the middle of the ring. There's a match where – this is a match where before the finishing run – Honest to God, one of the most exciting bits of the match is Daniels hitting Chris Hero's head on each turnbuckle twice. Like, but it doesn't matter because Hero's stick is fills all like the empty gaps in this match. Like, I'm a big Chris Hero fan. I'm a big fan of this act that he's had during this era. But even I can acknowledge that sometimes this shtick he had here can overtake a match and steal all the focus prevent it from reaching like its full potential, you know, all that stuff, you know, from an action standpoint. And sometimes I can say like, oh, there's a match where this match could have been more fun from an action standpoint, but heroes like shtick kind of stole focus and energy. This is, this match needed Chris hero shtick. And it was great. Like, um, it was full of it. The, like the hot, there's the stalling at the start. Hero gets a back rub from Claudio. And I feel like the highlight of this match for me is Chris Hero does like a 20 second sequence, which is nothing but kip ups and flips and deep knee lunges. And at one point him leaving the ring just so he can, in, to, to the apron, just so he can flip back into the ring. And then he does this for like 20 seconds. And then he walks up to Daniels and Daniels just slaps him in the face. And then Hero bails to the outside and, Claude and Hero looks so angry and sad, and Claudio kisses him on the cheek to make his boo boo better. And it is the incredible facial expression where Hero, in like one second, goes from like the saddest face to the happiest face. Like this was like the greatest kiss he ever could have gotten. And in fact, actually, you know, I said that was my favorite part of the match. This is my favorite part of the match. I was just looking over my notes. Um, there's a moment where Hero hits his atomic drop, which actually we've seen on a recent show he did it to Mark Briscoe. Chris Hero has a great atomic drop. Bring back the atomic drop. But anyway, it's like a big running atomic drop. So he hits and he gets a two count. And after the two count, he gets mad at the ref and he goes, that was a goddamned atomic drop. Like, like he's saying like, you know, an atomic drop wins matches. Like he's so furious that that did not win the match. And I just thought, you know, that's the goofy stuff I like. And 
the match does pick up in the final two or three minutes, but even then it's not amazing in from action standpoint. But we get this kind of weird finish where Daniels hits the best moonsault ever. Claudio distracts the ref. But then the finish comes like only half a minute later where Heroes and Daniels just work a sequence of reversals right afterwards that ends it in Daniels' pin. And I didn't mind the finish, but it felt, again, like another match where it was almost like you kind of – it kind of felt like a little extra bit tacked onto like the natural flow of the match just to have more near falls and kind of swerve fans, which again, we're going to start seeing this more in Ravon. Overall, I would call this like a very high above average to a low good, which for Daniels these days in singles matches in Ring of Honor was like a big win. But I thought this was mostly just Hero's personality, like making it. But uh, Matt, what'd you think? Well, first of all, thank you for giving me the term deep knee lunges because I always just called them like the knee walks. So uh... I'm sure there's like a term for it. I just had to make one. I'm sure there's a, like – you can tell we're not athletic men. There's pro- <laughs> Although you're honestly pretty athletic. You ride a bike a lot. You're in good shape. Um, well, I definitely, can't, well, I definitely am not coordinated. I don't, I'm not good at sports even if I try to do athletic things. <laughs> But otherwise, yeah, I don't know what you would call those. I'm sure there is a term for them, you know. But I just yeah. don't know as the thing Chris Hero does. Yeah, I um I uh I think that almost everything entertaining in this match was done by Chris Hero. Like so I'm still not like turn the corner on two thousand and six Christopher Daniels singles matches in ROH. Um but I guess there is – there was one fun thing that Daniels did where he walks Hero around the ring, ramming his face into the top turnbuckle, and he does it like in all four corners two times, like yeah. a – what I described it as a strapless strap match. So <laughs> I, uh, that was one thing that Daniels did that uh, was noteworthy in the match. But otherwise, yeah, it was a lot of Chris Hero doing stuff. And and you know you talk about this being like a non-ROH, ROH match. But I think this is something that we've noticed a lot in ROH lately, which is a match where the wrestlers, you know, even though the stereotype is that they ROH didn't do this, really kind of neglected, and I don't say that in a completely negative way, but sometimes neglected the action for getting over their characters. And I think Hero definitely did that a lot. I think Claudio did it a lot, and I think it actually was worse in Claudio matches because, you know, Claudio's big asset is that he's an incredible athletic specimen. And he sort of put that on the back burner. I mean, we'll talk about that in the next match, but he sort of put that on the back burner in 2006 ROH to get over his character. I think his matches suffered. I think we've reviewed a lot of them this year because of that. But it's something that you see in ROH of the the character supersedes the match. Again, completely uh, antithetical to what people think ROH was like. But, I mean, watch the shows. You'll see them. Um, this is a match that's just like that. Um there was one point at the beginning where they're like exchanging arm ringers and like Daniels does some and then Hero gets one and yells, oh, who's got the arm now, baby, which I think should be <laughs> should have been his catchphrase, um, but didn't work out that way. I also enjoyed the the after the slap, Claudio kissing Hero and then Seidel, like like Joe pointed out, with his big Matt Seidel grin saying, hey, Claudio, I'm going to slap you like that too, buddy, which is just like. That's pure, like a pure Matt Seidel moment. So I, uh, I enjoyed all that, and like, and I pretty much agree with you about the match. Like, this is a match that was entertaining because of Chris Hero's shtick, not because of wrestling action. He's kind of like the opposite of what you were describing John Walters of as in the first match of like Chris Hero. Like John Walters is a guy who doesn't really fill the gaps between moves at this point, and Chris Hero is like a guy where he is just filling every square inch of the gaps between moves with with things with yeah. you know working the crowd saying something reacting to something you know mugging a face you know just like 
like everything. It, it, it is like the polar opposite ends of the spectrum you get to see in these first three matches. But um, so yeah, after the match, Dave Prezak notes that Daniels has now pinned both Claudio and Hero in singles matches, and he and Seidel are in line for a shot at the tag title belts. Uh, Claudio, at this point, and Seidel both jump in the ring. Hero attacks Seidel. Daniels then fights back and attacks Hero. Daniels and Hero go to the outside, which leaves Claudio and Seidel alone in the ring for their scheduled match to start. And we get Matt Seidel defeating Claudio Castagnoli via pinfall in 10 minutes, 42 seconds, after he hits the Seidel press, a.k.a. just the regular shooting star press, but he called it that. Um, so, yeah, Matt Seidel, by this point, I would say is one of the better high flyers going in this era. Claudio, by this point, was a fantastic base who, in Ring of Honor, in singles matches as a heel, could sometimes be a little bit boring when he had control at this point. And I would say, guess what? When these two are doing the things they're good at in this match, like Seidel flying around and Claudio basing, this match is super fun. And when Claudio's in control here or there in the body of the match, it's not his worst work, but the match is not nearly as fun. It's exactly, from that respect, I think what you would think. I would say... This is a match you would show when you want to show people how great Seidel's body control is and how good Claudio is as a base. Because it's not either of their best match. It's not even their cleanest performance. But I actually feel like that makes it more impressive. There's super difficult stuff here that they pull off perfectly. Like um, the highlight being something Joe actually uh, put on his Twitter in recent days when he, he was watching the show. I think it's at Joe Gagne on Twitter. Um, he put a clip on where Seidel does this incredible move where he's on the second turnbuckle facing the fans and he jumps and he turns around 180 in midair almost into like a bulldog position on Claudio, except in midair, he then flips over. So he's like head pointing to the ground, feet in the air, and then wraps his feet around Claudio's head and then flips him over with a head scissors. And, you know, me describing it does not do it justice. It's just incredible midair body control on site and, and Claudio to, you know, just be so steady and on point to make it look smooth. Just what these two do best on display in one move. But there are also things in this match that don't hit quite as smoothly. But I think it's what is impressive here is they don't completely lose a single move here. Like they always either save the move with just a bit of a hitch or they turn it into something else. Like this is two guys who are trying a lot of really difficult physical stuff, but they're so talented that even if they don't always pull it off, they can somehow like redeem it somehow, which I feel like a lot of wrestlers, like they're trying something. It's either going to hit or it's not going to hit. And these guys kind of like mid move can be like, well, let's just shift it. Let's turn it into this. And I also thought this was just another example of a good undercard match. Like it's not them going long or near fall heavy or trying to have their main event epic in the first half of the show, but it's 10 minutes of fast pace. There's some inventiveness. There's some memorable spots. And you, and most importantly, I would say it's a match where, you're seeing two guys doing things that you feel like only these two guys could do some of these things together. Like, like I don't feel like you would see certain kinds of these a couple of these spots in any other combination of wrestlers on this roster on this night, which is, you know, Hey, that's that, that makes a match feel special. So overall, I would say like you, you're seeing two great tastes, taste great together. This is like peanut butter and chocolate. Is it occasionally crunchy peanut butter in this match? Sure. But overall I would say like a flat out good match. Matt, what'd you think? Yeah, I, I think I like this match a lot less than you. Um, wow. I, I thought there was some some cool stuff in it, and you know, obviously they're both great athletes, but I thought it was boring for a lot of it. I, I, th- first of all, I think this is another example of guys sort of prioritizing the character work over the action because these two could have had just like a standout like 
show stealer match and they chose not to, which is, you know, again, fine, but I'm just, I don't know. I'm just sick of them not doing the best they can. Like, I know you don't have to do that every time, but it's, I feel like it's been a while since Claudio's really even tried. And it's kind of frustrating to me. I think they, they do a little more when they're in tags together in the, in the near future. You know, I think it's just like, they they show a little bit of it, like you described some of like the big spots, but I just felt like it was until the end, just low energy. Um, I, I almost thought Seidel was saving himself for the next night with Kenta, which is which is fine. I think that's you know reasonable, but it doesn't make the match better. I, I thought there was some very good stuff near the end, and I you know I really like that. But I would have just preferred a more exciting, athletic match between these two. I get that Claudio's a heel. Like I I I don't like I just I don't feel like I need to, to see that. So I don't know foregrounded. The other thing I want to note is Allison Danger. I think was in Seidel's corner for the first time here, and I actually. If I'm not mistaken, I don't think she's been in Daniel's corner for a while either. So I think they kind of have her back with them, so like to get to get get ready for the tag title run, because um, it seems like uh, seems like she's going to be back full time with them, and uh, we'll get to their promo later. But um, seems like that's a three person act now. Maybe they're like, ah, oh, we don't have to pay Nana anymore, so we can have her come in. Because it did seem like, yes, you've been seeing like almost see smokes less too. Like they've been kind of paring back on the managers a bit. Um, Joe, this is one of my favorite things on Through the Years when we have a guest on and Matt and I disagree on a match. You get to be the tiebreaker. Which which of us has the valid opinion, Joe? No pressure. Um, feel free to go right down the middle on this one. But what did you think, Joe? Well, first, many people have been asking me what a good match is to demonstrate Matt Seidel's body control. And for a while, I was like, gosh, I don't know. But now I'm like, oh, I got one right here, right here. Good play on this. This is the last time uh, we're ever going to be on the show, so I hope you enjoy it. I do have fun. Um uh, me personally, the high flyer versus a larger base is an absolute sweet spot of wrestling. So I was uh, I was close to Trevor. I, w- I was pretty into this here. I thought Seidel looked awesome here. And I thought Claudio was great in eating all of his offense and making all his head scissor variations look good, which you really don't. I mean, how many times have you just seen kind of a lousy flying head scissors where they don't, you know, they don't maintain contact and one guy has to kind of flip himself over. It just looks bad. And that was not the case here. And if I had a complaint, I do wish Claudio did more cool power stuff here he did one like big pop-up into like an uppercut and he was like so huge compared to Seidel I thought that was kind of a missed opportunity to you know take it to the next level because you know I thought this was a good undercard match but this wasn't like with these two you would think oh they would have incredible matchups and they never really went on to do I know they have a match at like Driven in 2007 I don't think they've wrestled since then so but yeah no I was I was I was into this I thought this was real good and if I had more time, you know, if, if we only had the, the time, the things I would do, I would, I would probably plant like an herb garden, like some basil on my balcony. But the second thing I would do would be go back and watch some Claudio matches that weren't in Ring of Honor from this era. Because my faint recollection, because I was watching, I think, Chikara at this time, was that like Claudio was not like he was better as a singles in other promotions at this time. Uh, that, that was my memory. I want to see if my memory is correct. Like, cause I, I don't think I, re- I think I remember at the time thing like Claudio's kind of met in ring of honor, but not met elsewhere. I, I, I wonder if my memory would be uh, correct on this one, but there's only so many hours in the day. The important thing that I want you to ask yourself, Trevor, at the end of this episode is just, I want you to really take stock and I want you to really think, do you, I really not have the time to plant an herb garden on my balcony. Do I just really not have the time to get some pots and, and, and grow some herbs? Because I think you can make that time, Trevor. And I think you'll, you'd, uh, I think you won't regret it. 
when you get those fresh herbs? I have the time, but then not the time to justify the recipes I'd have to come up with that were all based around having a lot of fresh basil. I don't know how many homemade pasta sauces I want to make when I could just – Matt Rouse is right there at the, kid, at, the, at the table. This episode of Through the Years sponsored by Rouse Pasta Sauce. It costs as much as like a full DVD movie and it's almost as good as going to a restaurant. Well, from, um, well, fresh basil, I mean, you could start making your own pizzas. You could be one of those guys and, you know, <laughs> ferment the dough and you can make pizza uh, margarita, which has the basil on it. And, you know, I, I, I could, I would enjoy an Instagram of your pizza experiments. You make a, you make a compelling case, Matt. but uh, <laughs> we go backstage to Austin Aries and Roderick Strong. Aries says this is Kenta's farewell weekend in ROH. He'd actually worked three double shots for ROH in 2007, but this was kind of billed as like, okay, Kenta's, this is Kenta's last weekend as a regular in ring, in, in, as a semi-regular, the way he had been for like the last eight, nine months or whatever. Um, Aries says he won't miss the handprint Kenta left on his neck for two weeks after their match in Chicago. He says their battles took a lot out of them and Kenta, but also gave them respect for each other. Tonight, Kenta and his American protege, Davey Richards, who Aries calls Mr. Invincible from here on up, which I quite don't know what he meant. By that. But like, I guess maybe maybe he has nothing in his head because he's stupid. And so like you can't hurt him, I guess. Um, wouldn't, that, wouldn't that be here just, on down and not here on up, though? Well, I guess the idea would be you have nothing in your head. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. You, you could hit it and there wouldn't be nothing to hurt. I, I understand um, the logic. Yeah. It's genius. Yeah, so, it's genius, actually. <laughs> so he says, uh, Davey and Kent are going to find out that Strong and Aries are the best tag team in wrestling. And then tomorrow night, they're going to get the revenge on the Kings of Wrestling. Strong says, tomorrow night, the tag tiles come back to where they rightfully belong and that they're sending Kenta back to Japan with a loss. So this was one of those promos other than Mr. Invincible from here on up was like literally – just not even any color to it just like we are telling you what we are doing the next two nights like robots like ai could generate this uh this promo and probably will very soon but um that brings us to the next match steve carino and the briscoes uh escort to the ring by shane hagedorn defeat bj whitmer homicide and samoa joe escorted to the ring by julia smokes in 19 minutes 50 seconds when jay briscoe pinned homicide after a spike jay driller uh matt before i throw it to you i just want to point out something i want to first know did either of you guys notice that there's this weird moment that i think is like a shoot legitimate moment where before the match carino steve carino pinned Picks up the mic and he seems ready to talk. And then the babyface's team music starts, and you can see Carino turn to Bobby Cruz and act like, "What the fuck?" And raise the mic in the air like, "I was about to talk." And then the faces run and hit the ring, and he never gets a chance to talk until after the match. And I'm like, it's so understated that I feel like that really happened. Like he really thought I'm going to get some mic time before the match, and it just didn't happen that way either. Or if not, you know, they did a very clever little bit of acting there but matt what'd you think about this um in some ways it was pretty exciting i'm i'm just haven't been feeling this feud so i think i probably didn't give it as much of a chance as maybe i would have given it in other contexts um but i thought it was solid um I, i thought it meandered a bit didn't really build to that hot of a finish i think i liked it more than some of the other recent matches in the feud i mean there was a lot going on i thought that you know first of all this is um I just want to ask you because maybe you would have the answer to this. This is Whitmer's big return match, right? And I've already yeah. sort of forgotten why he would be involved in this. Um, 
do you remember like what his connection is? I mean, I guess there was stuff with him and Adam Pierce, but Adam Pierce isn't really in the match. Did the Briscoes attack him? Did that happen at some point? I don't remember. But the only thing I can think of is BJ Whitmer by the end of the CZW feud was kind of becoming. They were almost kind of framing him almost like his homicide's buddy a little bit like because how remember how homicide was in his corner for war of the wire 2 against necro and you know they were both on team roh against czw so the only thing i can think of is just the idea of maybe on a newswire something maybe they said you know you know homicide and joe need a third and you know bj whitmer has once again stepped up the, you know you could imagine them writing something like that right yeah for sure i i just i, I didn't remember if there was like an obvious connection or not. If there I, is, I don't remember it. Yeah, I think there was there was something with Whitmer and when and Homicide maybe teaming against Pierce and Carino at uh, at the last New Jersey show. I think that might have happened. So it could have been it could have been just related to that. But anyway, uh, the crowd is definitely hotter for Homicide beating on Carino than other recent crowds have been. Or or they were just really excited that Samoa Joe was out there. I couldn't tell which because everyone was just bra brawling on the floor and running around and. And the opening segment does give the impression of chaos as the camera just catches like the ends of bumps as it moves around the corner. But I didn't understand why they would just use wouldn't just use the three cameras for this, just because they missed so much stuff in that early brawling part of the match. Um, they do this thing in this match that ROH does a lot that I'm not really crazy about, where they start with like a really hot brawl and then they try to like get it back under control in just a normal tag team match. And I feel like that doesn't usually work because the crowd was into the brawl and then they just kind of, I don't know, deflate a little bit for the more normal part of the match. Um, but the, the most entertaining parts of, of that, you know, that segment are uh, when Joe is beating on Carino. There's a spot where Carino escapes to the floor when Joe goes to the running boot, but Homicide is there to throw him back into Joe's clutches. Uh, and uh, speaking of clutches, which rhymes with crutches, you wouldn't, you, I, I would say you wouldn't have known that Whitmer had an ankle injury from this match. He didn't really seem to be slower or anything like that. Um, but uh, there is a there is a cool spot where uh, the Briscoes attack Whitmer from the apron, and Mark hits his uh, inside out double stomp, just like completely out of nowhere. I thought that was pretty cool. At some point, there sounded to me – I don't know if anyone else heard this. There appeared to be a, quote, suck his dick chant, and I was like, what possible context could that have been? Did anyone else hear this? Maybe they weren't even focusing on what was going on in the ring. You know, who knows? Yeah, but that, well, I mean that's a weird chant. I would say it literally, <laughs> literally any context. Um, you know, uh, whether it was malicious or not, I don't know, but – Weird, any any way you slice it. I guess there's probably what about, some. You say any context. What about oh, yeah. eyes wide shot? No, no, what no, if yeah, there was yeah, a scene no, no, yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yes. In in a wrestling event. Okay. okay. <laughs> 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 Put it that. <laughs> um, I, I mean, you can I'm all just, just imagine context. all sorts of contexts. I feel like I feel like an eyes wide shut party. I feel like uh like a like a chant like that, like with that cadence, <laughs> probably would take people out of the mood. You know, there's supposed to, there's almost like a, I don't know, like a regality to like an eyes wide shut party. I don't know. It's just like, like it would almost have to be like a Gregorian sounding <laughs> suck his dick chant, like suck <laughs> his dick, like something like that, right? Like, <laughs> it have to sound like the eyes wide shut 
music for that to make any sense. Um, anyway, um, so Carino was doing like heel tactics, like pretending to tag the behind the ref's back. He's yelling at the ref when he gets a two count. You know, he's a real heel. What was I talking about? Anything weird? I don't. I don't know. Um, anyway. Um, <laughs> There's a, a spot where um, Whitmer hot tags Homicide, and as usual, it's not as hot as you'd think, but Homicide hits some hits some hot moves, just it's not like the crowd's going crazy for it. Um, hits the running corner boot on Carino, then knocks the Briscoes off the apron, and then Joe hits a running corner boot of his own, then Carino suplexes Car- – uh, oh, excuse me, Whitmer suplexes Carino. And things start to get fast-paced. Mark cuts off Homicide's Tope Con Hilo, and there's a series of avoided moves until Mark finally hits a springboard dropkick to Homicide's back, which allows Homicide to be the new face in peril. And I think that two face in peril sequences are usually too many unless the crowd is really on fire, and this one isn't. But this one isn't as one-sided. Homicide gets some more offense. Um, Jay mostly gets the better of the strike exchanges between Homicide and, and Jay. And they do more, like distract the ref so we can double and triple team the baby face spots. Uh, then eventually, Homicide slaps Carino loudly, because they always have to slap each other, and goes for a swinging DDT, but Carino throws him off, super kicks him. At this point, Hagedorn is mocking Julius Smokes on the outside by like running around the ring, um, doing his like Julius Smokes kind of like run around the ring thing that he does. And I thought he did a pretty good job with that, so good job, Shane. Um uh, there, there's another spot where uh, Hagedorn grabs Smokes, so Smokes knocks him out with a forearm, which is a pretty big spot to just toss off in the middle of nowhere. And I almost wonder if it was planned, because like you know that feels like the sort of spot where they might like stop the match to center that, um, you know, where's a big like Smokes knocking a guy out spot. Um, but it was just sort of tossed off in the background. Um, Homicide blocked the Karina Lariat, hit an Ace Crusher. Again, I guess I'm just going to keep using the name of that move. Um, a cutter. I guess we decided we were going to call it instead right now. Um, mm-hmm. And then Homicide medium hot tags Joe because all these hot tags are – I feel like I feel like medium hot. Uh, Joe hits inverted atomic drops, boots, sentons on Mark, but Jay breaks up the pin. Um, Joe – ST Joe's Jay snap power bombs Carino. Uh, they, 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 this is like where the fast paced part of the match is. Briscoe's do a Yakuza kick, back suplex combo on Joe. Whitmer breaks that up. Whitmer blocks a J driller. Jay avoids an exploder, and Whitmer hits Jay with a brain buster. Um, at this point, I can't even tell who the legal men are. Uh, Carino hits a back in Zagiri on Whitmer. Jay rolls, and Jay rolls Whitmer up for two. Then Whitmer tags in Homicide, who immediately hits a swinging DDT and catches Mark with an inverted atomic drop. And then he goes for the cop killer, but Carino tries to hit him with Nux. So Sinclair grabs them from Carino, and then Homicide goes for another cop killer on one of the Briscoes, but Carino produces another pair of Nux. It's the old two-Nux trick, and Homicide it hits Homicide with it, uh, and the Briscoes hit a Spike J Driller for the win. So, um, yeah, they... Sure beat Homicide a lot, given that they're building Homicide for the world title. But um, yeah, as I said at the beginning, solid but meandering. I liked it more than a lot of these recent matches, but I still didn't think it was quite that good. Joe, what did you think of the match? And have you ever been to an eyes wide shut sex party? <laughs> How am I expected to follow? <laughs> follow that review is just uh, an, an impossible task. But... Or, or if you haven't been to an eyes wide shut sex party, have you ever been to an eyes wide shut viewing party with a bunch of real big Kubrick fans? 
<laughs> I've never seen Eyes Wide Shut either with a crowd or, or by myself. Make it a date. Like, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, as far as the match, uh, I thought it was a good match. Uh, they had a big brawl to start. It, it made sense. And uh, I like the fan who yelled, I think, go to the gym, Pinky, at Steve Carino, who was resplendent in hot pink trunks. But, uh, you know, Carino's just trying to improve. He's doing his best. So uh, that fan should be better, I feel. Uh, let's, let's see. Um, yeah, the crowd was awfully quiet for, for chunks of this. I thought it did kind of build well, like Matt said, the heat on Whitmer and then Homicide. I thought the Briscoes were awesome. They were just flying all around the ring. And uh, Smojo is the coolest and best wrestler. But um, the MVP was probably Hagedorn, who <laughs> imitated Julius Smokes. And when Smokes finally punched him, Hagedorn, like, slid across the floor like it was ice. Like, I thought that was a, a cool spot. But, yeah, we got the ending, which, you know, I I had obviously seen this show, but it still kind of caught me off guard. Like, oh, you know, I, that's kind of weird, but uh, but it was what it was. And yeah, I thought the match was good, but given the level of talent in here, you know, you think you would hopefully produce something a bit better than good. Um, I like this match way less than either of you. Um, in fact, if we had a year-end award, which we don't on three of the years, we have some awards, but not this one, for most disappointing match of the year, this would be a contender for it in my mind. And it's not even that I had like high expectations for this match because I didn't because I don't really remember this match. So I assumed it couldn't be that incredible. But we had seen some like great wild tag brawls this year with stuff like the main event of the Hunt of the Show and some of the ROH CZW feud matches. And hell, like even the uh, the Homicide Joe versus Briscoe Brothers street fight we saw not very long ago. And on top of that, like look at the talent in this match, you know. I would argue that you can make a case for everyone in this match except B.J. Whitmer to be like an indie wrestling Hall of Fame. And in fact, um, Homicide is and the Briscoes are being inducted into the real indie wrestling Hall of Fame this year. So, you know, ton of talent. And, you know, I, I just thought based on that, there should be like a median level of quality you hit. And even on, on a B show where guys maybe aren't trying as hard. Like, And instead, I thought you got – a very blah brawl to start. Like in some of those matches I mentioned before that are like were great brawl, crowd brawls this year, the camera's constantly cutting to a new pair of pair of wrestlers somewhere around the ring doing something exciting. Here, the the camera keeps cutting to new action and it's all just bland. Like every t- every cut's like, oh, maybe this will be more exciting. No, it's just random punching. And whatever magic Carino and Homicide had together. They, they've completely lost. Like after the bitter friends to enemies match and the barbed wire rematch at war of the wire, every time they face off now, it's like you, I get excited because that bitter friends to enemies matches. One of my favorite ring of honor matches ever. And usually it's just like they are here where they throw some punches, homicide grabs Carino's ear and you'd uh, never guess from watching them that they they had one of the best matches in ROH. At least, at least that steel cage warfare match was like bizarrely out of control in a way that made it memorable. You know, like a lot yeah. of this other stuff has just been kind of like blah. And then they do the thing that Matt already mentioned. You already mentioned this, Matt, like the, uh, which is I've, I've said in recent shows, this is a huge pet peeve of mine. I realize it's, it's a relatively minor thing, but the wild brawl that organically settles down into a regular ordered tag match where everyone just re- decides, oh, let's stand on the apron and now follow tags. Um, then Creon gets beat down for a while and it almost feels like he's the face in peril because none of the beatdown is done with enough energy to really make it feel like he's a heel getting his come up in. It just feels like, oh yeah, they're taking some turns on him. 
And then the but the biggest problem with this match to me is the rest of the match from that point on. Nothing to my mind. Like Matt, you you mentioned some spots. I don't think there's anything really fun or super memorable in this match. There's no real super exciting spots. There's no real emotion for a, a match that's supposed to be like building up multiple feuds. I think I think, the, even... I think the Briscoes did some fun stuff um, because they always do. But you're mostly right. It doesn't even make it a typical the, – the attempt in my mind to do the, the usual like, OK, we're in first gear for most of the match, but we'll go crazy in the final two minutes. I don't even think they go that – they go bigger, but they don't go that much bigger in the final two minutes. Like this is a match to me that fails not because they attempted something and it didn't work or because they didn't get enough time. This is a match that fails because they got 20 minutes and they tr- it, they just – they seem to have like no ambition. Like it's a match where you, you mentioned like the Briscoes. Yeah, they did do a little bit of fun stuff. But I feel like the Briscoes who almost always work their asses off, even they couldn't really do enough to like bring enough energy to this match to redeem. I don't really think it's their fault, but like even they couldn't really kind of save this. It's also yet another example of like paint by number Samoa Joe where you know he's basically tags in twice. Each time he comes in, hits a quick flurry of some of his greatest hits and then tags out quick. Like, you know, it's it's Joe what we're seeing a lot of on a lot of these shows, which is 70% Joe. And on a match like this, you could have used 100%. I understand why he would want to not go all out on a, on a six-man tag on, on a Friday night show for Ring of Honor, but it, it still doesn't help. And even the crowd, like I thought the crowd had been very good up to this point in in the show, but if you watch this match, they're really loud to start. They get kind of loud for the end, but you can hear them in the body of the match, like progressively lose steam as they kind of realize, oh, like these guys are awesome, but this yeah. match isn't going to be awesome. Also, there was like one kind of odd chant in the middle. I don't know if I mentioned it. So yeah, yeah. I, I I don't know. I, I blacked out for a while during your review. I don't know why, but um, <laughs> uh, I think I, hypno- I think I hypnotized the- you. And it ends with the cheap foreign object finish, which, again, I'm not opposed to those. But in a match like this, I was just like – just a lot – like the way I, I could – my review of the match is this. Joe, you mentioned that you're like the highlight of the match. You guys both mentioned this spot. It was like the the um, Julius uh, – the Shane Haggard were doing the impression of Julius Smokes and running around the ring and then finally getting punched by Smokes. The great acting there. I would agree that's my highlight of, the, of this match. No offense to either guy who did a great job here. If the highlight of a match with these six guys is one thing Julius Smokes and Shane Haggard did on the outside, you fucked up. You, you, you just did. And uh, I would give this a very mild below average, which is a rating I very rarely give on through the years. It was really talented professional wrestlers executing moves properly, but it bored me and wasted 20 minutes of my life. And it also, if you watch this match, which I recommend you avoid it, um, Steve Creel throws a lariat at BJ Whitmer that misses so high. It is fucking ridiculous. Like the only way he, he could have hit BJ Whitmer with this lariat is if he uh, forgot BJ's height and thought he was seven feet tall because he misses it this high it, 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 that, that's like the memorable stuff for me from this match so i was really disappointed in this match did my um, did my review of this match just sort of like enhance this match's legacy by a lot because that's really my goal in this on this show is to i mean uh, rehabilitate matches so people will always remember this match because of uh the way we reviewed it on this show Matt, like you might have to give yourself for the first time the Matt F trophy at the end of this episode. We'll <laughs> we'll just tease that, but that would be my suggestion. But um, uh, so uh, 
After the match, Homicide is left alone in the ring with the heels, and as his tag partners and Smokes try and get back into the ring to help him, the Briscoes prevent them. They you know, stand by the ropes and just kick at them when they try and get in the ring. Creel grabs the mic and starts to choke Homicide and says, take a good look. This is the last time you're going to see Homicide. I'm not going to beat you tomorrow. I'm going to kill you. You know, just the very generic, he's going to kill Homicide. He's been saying that for a few for a while now. Um. Now to something less generic. If you want to talk about, you guys talked about the Matt Seidel like adorable geek energy. Holy shit! You that was just a taste because th- this is the promo, folks. Cut backstage to Christopher Daniels, Matt Seidel, and Allison Danger, who just happened to be in front of a chalkboard for some reason. There just they happened were, to be a chalkboard in this building. You could see like the pre-match gears flowing. We're like, oh my god, we have a chalkboard in this in the back. We got to use the chalkboard in our promo, man. <laughs> So Daniel says he finds it funny that Chris Hero and Claudio Castanelli call themselves the kings of wrestling. Daniel says he's going to give us a lesson with this chalkboard. So he writes kings, the word kings on the board with the chalk, and says kings are a pretty big deal in the world. But then he writes the word lords with the greater than sign next to it. He says, I've been a lord of the ring for a very long time. He goes, I know everything about tag team wrestling. And if you don't believe me, you can ask Donovan Morgan. You can ask Elix Skipper. You can ask AJ Styles. Or you can ask Matt Seidel. And then Seidel says, when the lords of the wrestling trilogy ends here on Claudio's shoulders are going to be down the mat one two three Daniels then writes on the chalkboard Daniels plus Seidel and then he puts in parentheses with danger which Allison Danger's like oh like she was she was relieved that he included her equals champs and then Daniels then hugs danger and Seidel he hugs them and Seidel in that snarky Matt Seidel tone of voice we've grown to ironically love says take a lesson kings of wrestling and I just wrote my notes Matt this was so cringe that it was fucking adorable. Yeah, I actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was listen. just. And I, I actually wish Matt Seidel's gimmick for this era was that he kept being put into tag teams with names that everyone hates because this didn't become an official name. But I just love the idea that he has gone in theory from the Air Devils to Lords of the Ring. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, well, I was gonna say like I don't. You you might have mentioned the Matt F Trophy too soon, Trevor, but um. I I do wish if they were going to be the Lords of the Ring, they did one match where they came out in like those weird hairy hobbit feet. <laughs> oh God! So yeah, this was this was fucking stupid, <laughs> in, in a good way, in, in in a great way. Um, that brings us to uh, something else. Col- Cole Cabana defeats Jimmy Ray via submission in eleven minutes twenty nine seconds when he made him tap out to the Billy Goat's curse. Uh, Jimmy has new generic entrances here this time. He is not switched to the House of the Rising Sun, but this is the first show where he has now ditched the embassy music. And, you know, we're continuing the story of him shedding the embassy gimmick piece by piece. Like, first he lost Nana, then Daisy Hazel, but then they didn't officially announce that. Then he threw the robe in the garbage on a recent show in a backstage skit. Then on the, on the last show, he, you know, tells Salve, I'm better off alone. And now the music. So they've actually done a good job of, like, doing this very – continuous progression of every show almost now he's losing something and uh before the matches the ref checks colt's gear if you watch you'll see he really does a lot of a job really zeroes in on colt's foot to check all the toes and then he holds up 10 fingers to indicate that yes colt Cabana has 10 toes and that's a reference to a rumor in real life that we talked about in the last episode through the years that uh Colt, for a, a very short time, the wrestling world thought that Colt Cabana had a, a one toe amputated, so they're playing off of that. Um, Joe, what did you think about this match? Um, when I like went back to watch the show, I remembered pretty much the entire card, but I had completely forgotten this match existed. Like I heard this music, I'm like, well, who who is this? And I'm like, oh, Jimmy, oh yeah, Jimmy Reeve, Colt Cabana, that happened too. I kind of forgot. 
Because, um, yeah, this was the, I believe, the post-intermission match. And, and Jimmy Bauer showed up on commentary, which is usually a good sign that that's, uh, that's the case. And this was, you know, Colt had another feud going on. So this is just kind of a, a detour match they threw on there. This this one kind of felt like a house show match as well, but probably not in a positive way. You know, I, I know Rave got the heat with a towel shot, and the <laughs> announcers were like, hmm, perhaps this is, there was a loaded towel. And like, <laughs> I, I know he hit him in the throat, but like, you can punch someone in the throat too. That'd probably be a lot worse than just like hitting them with a towel. And, you know, and they didn't, they didn't do, you know, like they fought outside the ring and like nothing happened. They just went, kind of went back inside and Colt came up way short on a moonsault. And Jimmy had to rush in to catch him, which is always kind of funny, but uh, some decent action. The last few minutes, Colt got the tap. And uh, like I said, I uh, had forgotten this match occurred and almost forgot it happened again as we reviewed it. So not, not a lot here. Matt, what did you think about this match and the devastating towel shot that uh, Joe mentioned, which I think is like the most memorable thing here? Yeah, I thought this match was sucked so bad that I am kind of thinking that it sucked on purpose. Like I'm almost thinking like with Rave, he has decided to make it so like he's – he just cares less and less, and like his character is bottoming out, so he could sort of rise again from the ashes when he gets the new like House of the Rising Sun music and stuff. Like I'm not positive, but it really does feel intentional that he just seems so low energy. He's hitting people with towels, you know. He's just, and, and, you know, and Colt's just obviously his heart didn't seem to be particularly in it. Um, you know, he, I'd say he works slower than normal too. You know, he does a lot of character based matches too, but this one just seemed worse than anything. I this was definitely a cool down match, um, but like I don't know, there were times where they didn't seem to be on the same page either. I don't know. I, I feel like Rave's recent performances have mirrored his character slump. That's why I wonder if it's on purpose. Uh, the, the one other noteworthy thing was that at one point in the match, Rave yells, Gonorrhea! And, uh, and Cabana blocks it, but then Rave hits Gonorrhea and um, and Praise X like, I don't even know if it's called that anymore. And I'm just like, Rave literally yelled it out like a minute ago. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> other than that, yeah, I thought this match sucked. Um, yeah, it sucked. I thought it sucked. I might have liked this a little bit better than you guys, but I thought this was barely average if that just because of the level of confidence and it was shorter than the last match, which I thought was kind of the difference. But yeah, I thought this was basic even by Jimmy Rave standards. You know, you know, you get usual stuff, his stalling at the start, his really basic offense, but this is like a level more reserved for even Jimmy Rave, who was like consciously in his career at this point trying to be like a minimal kind of don't overshadow the faces kind of heel. And I wonder if my theory was maybe one other thing too was I think Hero was I mean Rave has always been a guy that was really good at incorporating other people in his act like using them as bells and whistles to kind of brighten up his matches like he's even talked I think in interviews in the past he talked about like how like I really liked you know using guy people in my entourage to get them involved and like oh they can do a spot here and I feel like this is a match where you really miss Nana and Daisy Hayes or even back when Alex Shelley would tag along. Like I, I, I feel like I have a rule while well, my kind of 
personal rules for wrestling is you shouldn't take something away from a guy without replacing it with something because it just makes them seem like a lesser version of what they used to be. And I realize kind of the storyline is, is like you were saying that, that he's lost right now and in the middle. But if that whether that was a conscious decision in this match or just a side effect of being in this transition period, either way, it hurts this match because it just he seems drier and blander than he ever has before. And there's nothing that, you know, he really could have used somebody interfering somebody prince nana talking shit on the outside something that would have made this um brighter in a sense but the one memorable spot is as joe mentioned if you want to see a match where Cole Cabana gets, you know, as we talked about earlier, if you want to see a match that shows off Matt Seidel's body control, I already got the recommendation for you, clearly. But if you want to see a match where um you see a guy take a towel shot and it changes the flow of the match, <laughs> this is this match. Cause, like, the commentary was great on this because Jimmy hits <laughs> hits um Colt with the towel and Colt sells it and Jimmy starts taking control and you can hear Dave Prezak kind of try and sell it and then quickly realize I can't fucking sell this because like you can hear him he I think Dave Prezak I wrote in my notes let me just find he says I did effect of devastating what he like he's he's he pauses after it happens and then he just says devastating weapon that towel and then then later on you see Jerry David go I don't know what's going on with that towel like, like, like you could, like, they could not even try and sell this. Like, maybe it's loaded. I don't know. But, um, yeah, this was just real up and down point in the show. Cause the first three matches are show for so on the show, three or four matches for me, I was like, this is a better show than we've been seeing lately in ring of honor. And then the last two matches, I was like, this is exactly what we've been seeing lately with ring of honor. So now it's on to the big two. Can they redeem it? One last note. Um, a fan shouts, live Jimmy live during this match. So good for that fan, um, you know, going against the heel wave. And uh, that brings us to the semi-main event, which would be uh, the Ring of Honor world title match. Brian Danielson successfully defends the title. He defeats Delirious via pinfall in 2107 when he did the Bret Hart, Roddy Piper, WrestleMania uh, 8 finish where you cl- climb the ropes up while you're in a submission and you flip over into a pin. In this case, it was a delirious Cobra stretch he was caught in. Um, I thought this was a very strong, good to low, very good match. I felt like this was kind of like the upper go- limit of how good a match could be without feeling special at all. Like in some ways it felt kind of workmanlike and normally I view that as a negative, but not here. Actually, I actually felt like when one of these two men in the match is one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, you can be workmanlike and still have a really good match. There's this almost mid tempo grind that Danielson does in this match that I see him do sometimes that I like, which again, for other people, it's a negative, but not the way Danielson does it, where it's one of those matches where Brian feels like he's just kind of all over a guy and grinding him. Like he's not just doing moves, but like between a move, he'll then hit delirious in the shoulder just to be a dick and then grab his nose and hit his nose. Like he's just constantly kind of poking and prodding at him and being an asshole and just grinding on him and always looking for these little opportunities to twist away at him. And there isn't a ton overall that makes this match memorable, but I did think there were a kind of, there's, I would say there's like a general comfortable level of quality, but there were a few neat little twists in this match. Like I'll just point out things I wrote down. Like um, before the match, Brian goes, everyone knows what the deal is when the bell rings, you get up and go, ah, which is referencing Delia's gimmick at this time of, you know, he'd be completely motionless until the bell rings. And then he would just freak out and run all around the ring. Well, as soon as Brian says that the bell rings and Delia's immediately just takes Danielson down for like a flash two count at the start of the match. I thought that was a nice way of playing off of, you know, the gimmick. 
I love Delirious later on. He goes for the never-ending clotheslines in the clo- in the corner, and Danielson traps the arm. So Delirious starts clotheslines with the other arm. So Danielson traps that arm too. So Delirious then starts throwing headbutts, and then Danielson, since he's holding on to both of Delirious's arms, just does like a double arm capture suplex, which I thought was really cool sequence. And then later on, there's a um, Delirious hits puts Danielson on the uh, top rope, like kind of sits him. So he's literally sitting on the top rope, not a top turnbuckle. And then he does a neck breaker, and Danielson kicks out one, which Danielson almost never does, and it gets shockingly little reaction from the crowd. And I and I did think that points to a flaw in this match, where I felt like maybe it's the last couple of matches, but the crowd here is were very good at the start of the show, and this is where they really are pretty subdued. They they, they don't. They react a little bit, but like, yeah, it's 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 a, it's a weird crowd because like later on in the in this match, Delirious hits the chemical imbalance too, and he gets to like a big reaction from the near fall. It's like you're being quiet for most of this match, and yet you you bought that Delirious could beat Brian Danielson for the title tonight. Like like it was weird what they got up for and what they didn't. But this is another match, like I think uh, one we talked about recently, I think against Aries, where. Like this is like Danielson's four where it's like three and a half to maybe three and three quarter stars to me. And I'll just say Brian Danielson's floor is as higher than the floors of John Malkovich's mind. You know, if you live in the rooms <laughs> there. So uh, see, uh, we're, we're referencing all the movies of 20 years ago. Folks. Oh, God, um, yeah, all the 1925 years ago. We're talking about 1999 movies right here, dude. Um, Matt, what did you think about this one? Yeah, I, I thought like this was the – least memorable and weakest of their three 2006 matches. And I think it's probably not fair because I think a lot of it has to do with just the heat. Like the the crowd was really hot for that first match in Philly where it was basically just Danielson beating the shit out of Delirious and bloodying him. Uh, And then the second match in Jersey where it was much more like Delirious was kind of the underdog that was actually showing some fire. And I felt like the crowd almost bought that you know, delirious possibility at that point more than they did in this match. Even though he did get that one good near fall reaction for the chemical imbalance too, I don't think that this crowd bought that delirious was going to win. I think that's probably what hurt the heat for a lot of the match. You know, like you said, I think there was solid workmanlike uh, work in the match. I thought that they, you know, they both were extremely well you know, certainly competent, especially Danielson. His execution was great. I think Delirious seemed like more of an equal with him in this match, you know, like a normal challenger versus like this kind of uh, like novelty. Like, I can't believe that Delirious is actually standing up to Danielson the way it was in the the second match of the two had back in May. But I, I, I just think that the match just had didn't have enough energy to rise to the levels of those two matches. It was still good, I would say. You know, uh, I would say it would have been really, really good if it had a little more heat. But I do think that the the quiet crowd hurt it for me a lot. Um, so I think it was – I would put it just as like a good match or, you know, like not even quite to the level of like really, really good. Maybe just one really, really good, but not really, really good. That's how I would say it. Um, and uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I think – is this like the last time Delirious challenges for the ROH title? For like years, I I I looked at some of his cage match results, and I didn't see any other title matches for Delirious uh, in the near future. So I, this might be like the end of Delirious getting that run. I know I know he does have a big moment with Danielson in Chicago in December, but it feels like after that he sort of moved back down the card. 
Yeah, uh, Joe, what do you think about this? I thought I, I know at the time, like no one thought Delirious was going to win. Like we all know, Homicide was getting the shot, final battle that was coming. And what I thought was interesting is how much Danielson, not so much dominated, but like how overpowering he was. Like you mentioned, like he kicked out at one after a big neckbreaker spot. There was a moment Delirious, you know, hit a hit a big knee, and Danielson had him in the cat mutilation like five seconds later, and. He just always seemed to be in control. In a situation like this where you, are, you have a challenger, no one really expects to win, sometimes you give him everything and then you know have it go from there. But Danielson really controlled it. But by the end, he had to eke out a win, which I thought was uh, an interesting approach. And I did like the one fan who yelled, uh, <laughs> Dragon, wake up, when he was in the Cobra stretch. So uh, good on that fan. And you know, I thought the match was good, but probably more interesting than good in, in my mind. Yeah, and uh... – Man, I, I did what you did. I did the cage match, and uh, I got to 2013 during that and did not see him getting a title shot. So, you know, maybe there's one weird one later, but he, he, this is this is his peak in some ways. But uh, Dave Meltzer wrote in The Observer – this was – he had not watched the show, but based on live reports, Dave wrote, Danielson kept the ROH title over Delirious. Said to be disappointing, but there were still standing ovations in spots. You could see Danielson really shouldn't be wrestling right now as it was not his normal match. Now – I don't know if I would agree with like I didn't feel like this was not his normal match. Maybe maybe there was things he was doing differently. I didn't really notice that. Did either of you guys like I, I just thought it was kind of like a decent but low end Daniels. I didn't go like man, you can see he's hurting. I, I know the reports at the time were he was really hurting at this point, but yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I, I I I don't. It didn't seem like he was so like off his game. I will say like. It does seem like he's maybe putting a little bit less attention into the character stuff. Like he he, does, he hasn't been doing the specialized intros where he tells Bobby Cruz to say certain things. Yeah, um, he hasn't been doing that since at least Glory by Honor, which I think is interesting. Um, so like his his the pain that he's in might lessen his ability to kind of just like show his full personality during these matches. I think that's a possibility, but otherwise. No, I, I I haven't noticed that he's like really lacking in what he's able to do. We then go to Daisy Hayes backstage who says, Lacey better watch what she does and what she says. That is literally the entire promo. It is one sentence. They cut backstage to – they shot that. They literally just – you know what? No better. I, I mean, I don't know if Daisy Hayes was a very good pro, but there is no more Ring of Honor how they treat the women, where even the backstage promo is shorter. It, it is one sentence, and that's it. Like, anyway, um, that brings us to the main event: Austin Aries and Robert Strong defeated Davy Richards and Kenta in twenty four thirty seven when Aries penned Richards after four fifty splash. So. The biggest news in this match, the biggest story of this whole show, clearly, is that Kenta, since his last Ring of Honor show, has gone from medium-length brown hair to short black hair. Like, clearly, biggest <laughs> story on the show. Um, but the other more minor piece of news that we've already talked about that they reference on commentary, so this is not like not a secret, is that this is the first night of Kenta's last weekend in ROH for quite some time. And they outright say it's like there's going to be – they're scheduling conflicts with Noah, so we're not going to have access to him for quite a while, which you know turned out to be true. Kenta would not be back in Ring of Honor for seven months after this weekend, and um, – he would work six matches over three double shots in 07. He'd work one match for ROH in Japan. So you almost kind of don't want to count that because, the, you know, he's already in Japan. It was for an ROH in Japan show in 08. And then he goes on one more, like, brief semi-regular run in 09. 
I think he does like 10 matches in 09, but really like this kind of already the end of a certain kind of era in a, in a sense. Um, and this is also an opportunity for Strong and Aries to get revenge on Kenta because Kenta beat them both in singles matches earlier in the year. And it's one last chance for Richards to get the rub of being Kenta's American protege, as they love to keep saying over and over again. And it's a way to get one more job out of Kenta without him actually having to take a fall. So in a way, booking this match, just even though you would say on paper, kind of a weird match to main event, it's kind of a tidy piece of business in some ways. Um, Joe, sincerely, guess we'll let you go on first. And also because I want you to know, um, I mean, I, I don't want you to, I want to know from you, Joe, was this your first time getting to see Kent alive? Oh, Trevor forgot glory by honor five review. Uh, God, just well, a I few try and forget short everything. weeks ago. I, I try and forget everything about you, Joe, as, as soon as it enters my ear, I drink to forget. So I'm sorry for that though. That is okay. Uh, I know that, and speaking of that last match, we had kind of bemoaned it at the time as being largely formless, where it was just kind of guys taking turns doing things. And I thought this match had certainly a lot more structure to it. And he had the backstory where, you know, Kenta beat up Ares. So, you know, when he slaps him, it carries a bit of extra meaning behind it. And, you know, this one had a lot more structure to it. Both teams kind of take turns playing you know, face in peril, and uh, they really just really beat the hell out of each other. And I like when Todd Sinclair accused Aries of choking. Aries responded, what do you know about chokes? Like, it's some, like, huge science. Like, you wouldn't know a choke if you saw one. Like, I don't know, it seems a pretty simple concept. Uh, and, and there's also one spot where I, I think Strong went to do kind of a hot shot to Kenta, but he overshot him, and, and for a nanosecond, Kenta was heading headfirst to the floor until he thankfully grabbed the, uh, the top rope and saved himself there. But by the end, like, once... They got to the spot where all four men was down. It really kicked in a hyperdrive. There's a lot of hot moves. And Kenta, like, did a, you know, he leaped to the top rope at a crazy top rope falcon arrow. And and then there was a big four-move sequence to put away Richards. And the crowd was just, like, super going nuts at the end of this here, too. So, you know, th this show certainly ended on a high note in terms of quality. I thought this was a really, really great main event. Um, Matt, I want your thoughts. But also, Matt, I have an update. I, I continue to look on Cage Match. Delirious did have another um, world title match in 2014 against – he challenged Adam Cole in a match that went 22-34. So this is his last world title match for eight years. Wow. But, uh, See, I, I knew it was something like that. Like I knew though he was in ROH for so long and obviously the booker and everything. He would have had to have gotten a title shot at some point, but I, I knew it wasn't anywhere in the near future. So thank you. I appreciate that. Um, as far as this match, yeah, I thought it was a really breath of fresh air in terms of just like a really like they went hard. They were athletic. They didn't really hold anything back. I, I you know, I'm kind of was it's been a while since we got a match where like it didn't feel like anyone was holding anything back, you know, like saving anything for another day. Um, I don't think this was this was the best Aries and strong tag team match, but it was it's pretty high on the list. Like I like that Briscoe's match more. You know, I got I got to rewatch the match that they had with um, um, Naruki Doi and um, and Sima, but I, I thought this was a a really fantastic match um, in terms of the athleticism. Uh, it didn't you like you know Joe? You said it had more structure, which it did. It didn't have like a huge intramatch story or like emotion or anything like that. It wasn't like you, anyone really cared that much who won the match, which you know makes it not like an all-time epic or anything. But just the athleticism, the the execution. They were hitting each other so hard. There were a lot of different moments where they would have strike battles, and they always looked good. 
and the crowd got really up for it. Um, I thought Richards, you know, I really, I mean, I know he gets a lot of criticism. I think he's been really good in his first, you know, few six months in ROH. I think that he continued to look strong here and, you know, kind of keep up with all these, you know, top, top wrestlers. Um, uh, that, that final sequence that you talked about, I, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's honestly too much stuff to, uh, to really get into, but, you know, I'll try to do a little bit of play by play. Um, at, from a certain point, there was a spot where, um, Richards holds Aries over the top rope. So Kenta could come off the top with a knee to the back of the head and strong breaks that up. Then Kenta continues to kick away, but Aries catches his boot, hits the shin breaker back suplex combination that he does. Uh, strong then hit a Uranagi backbreaker on Richards and Kenta hit the Busaiku knee on Strong, and that led to all four guys being down for the big ROH chant. And then after they get up, Ares leaps under Strong's legs with the heat-seeking missile onto Richards. Uh, like Rhea went right through Strong's legs to do it. Um, then Kenta knocks Strong onto the floor and then dives off the top onto Ares and Strong. I don't remember seeing Kenta do like top rope dives to the floor in ROH before. Dude, has he done that? In, in, no, I made a note like that's that seemed like if that's not the first, it's one of the rare ones he's done in Ring of Honor because I was yeah, like, wow, yeah. like Kenta doing a dive to the floor. Yeah, he might have done a springboard thing onto Loki. I don't really remember, but um, uh, Aries avoided the go to sleep and drop kick Kenta to the corner. Um, got a two count off that. Then he goes for a superplex on Richard, but Richards comes from behind, um, puts him in the Doomsday device position, and Kenta comes off the top with a Doomsday Busaiku knee, and Strong breaks that up. Then Kenta and Richards try to double superplex Aries, but Strong comes from behind and buckle bombs Kenta into the adjacent corner. But then Kenta comes back. He leaps to the top rope for the Falcon Arrow on Aries, gets a two count. Big reaction for that one. Uh, Richards goes for a shooting star press on Aries, but Aries gets the knees up and Strong hits a gut buster. Then the big running boot or the the sick kick, right? Um, Aries covers, but Kenta breaks that up. Then Strong and Aries have another strike exchange. It's like the third of the match, I think. Um, Kenta blocked a, a Gibson driver, hit hit a kick combo, went for the go to sleep, but Aries saves that. They hit Kenta with the chop brain buster combo, but Kenta rolls outside, and then they double back, double team backbreaker and do the chop brain buster combo on Richards, but Richards gets a quick roll up on Aries for two. Then Strong ends up hitting the half-Nelson backbreaker on Richards. They get Richards up over Strong's shoulders, and Strong basically like puts him behind him, almost in like a bridge with the top turnbuckle with his face down. And Ares jumps off the top with like a stomp to Richards' head. Then Richards is still hanging behind Roderick, and Ares kicks him in the head. Then Roderick does... The Alabama Slam, that's still the move I use, the name that I use for that move. Um, I think there is another name for it, but that's the one that I think of. Um, Aries hits the 450, gets the pin. So I thought that was a really different kind of finishing sequence, and obviously just great action. I thought this was the best ROH match in a while. Probably my favorite ROH match overall since uh, Glory by Honor. Um, and But... It was uh, very obvious that Davy Richards was going to take the fall in this one, but that's okay. I, I really liked it. Yeah, so I don't know if Pete, Pete, you guys remember, but looking back, like doing research, there was some certain corners big buzz for this match. Like um, Sean oh, Radican no, was there live. Sean Radican was the main guy. He was like, this is a five-star match. This is one of the greatest matches I've ever yeah. seen, right? Yeah. 
I got the quote. He was there live. And, you know, we, we've all had this before. Not, not, I'm not saying he's not welcome to his opinion or anything like that. I, I, I'll tip my hat. I think this is a great match, too. But, like, um, I think we've all had the experience of we give a match a little extra because we're there live. But so Sean wrote in his review, this was the best match I've ever seen live. And I can't wait to see how it looks on DVD. Five stars. The actual action eventually broke down. All four men hit big moves as the crowd chant ROH after our ROH. ROH after Kenta sent strong to the floor with a flying kick. ROH owner Kerry Silken, who was taking pictures at ringside, turned to the crowd with a look of amazement on his face, which conveyed that he had never seen anything like this in his life before. And But Sean wasn't the only one who felt that way because, in fact, um, Gabe would talk to uh, the Torch afterwards, and he would say, uh, regarding the Austin Aries and Roderick Strong versus Kenta Davy Richards match, ROH booker Gabe Sapolsky tells the Torch, quote, I thought it was one of the greatest matches in ROH history and a definite high-end match of the year candidate. I hope we get the DVD out in time for it to get match of the year consideration. Um, this match did not get match of the year consideration. I would not say it's a match of the year contender. I don't think it'll be in either Matt or I's year-end awards probably. I do think it's a great match. I, I, I think it's like Matt said, uh, I, I would agree. It's the best match we've seen since the, you know, probably Kenta Danielson at glory by honor weekend. Um, and like Matt said, this is the kind of match ROH shows have been missing recently. And the kind of match I also felt like this show really needed to push it into the firmly into the good show category after kind of an uneven up and down card. Um, you know, there's some nice tentative action early when Davey Richards in, but the first time Kenta tags in, he comes right in and has that sequence with Aries where he kicks and slaps the hell out of him. And this crowd, which they had kind of been lulled by a, a, quite a bit in the second half of the show, they don't just wake up. They react louder than anything else on the show. Like most of the crowd actually gives Kenta an impromptu standing ovation after his first sequence in the ring. And I would just like watching this show or this match. I would say, like, there are a lot of great workers on this show, right? Like, Brian Danielson's an all-time Hall of Famer that I would actually put above Kenta all-time. And there are plenty of guys on this card that I would say qualify at least for, like, the Hall of U.S. Indie Wrestling fame, if not, like, a top – and if some of these – a lot of the guys on this card maybe I wouldn't say qualify for, like, the Observer Hall of Fame. If you had the Hall of Really Damn Good that was, like, one level under it, that metaphorical Hall of Fame, I'd say a lot of guys on this roster deserve to be in there. But on this night, on with that roster, I would say Kenta just seems like a miles above everyone else on this card in terms of like how he carries himself, his aura, the reactions he gets. And like, yeah, part of that is he's really freaking stiff. And but there are other people in wrestling who get stiff and they don't get reactions like this. It's he like Kenta in this match, he comes off not just as, oh, this is a great pro wrestler, but like this is a great pro wrestler and he's great in a way we don't get to see very often. And on this card, like anywhere else on this card, he he feels special here. Like when when he does that sequence early, like if you were shooting a movie where there's like a sports scout, you know, that old cliche who's in the back watching, trying to find new talent for an organization, that uh, once he finishes that sequence, he gets a standing ovation. That'd be the scene where the scout immediately picks up his phone and calls like his boss and goes, listen, buddy, like I found the guy you're looking for. You know, it, it was just that kind of moment. But at the same time, I would say like this is a very strong four stars, maybe a four and a quarter star match. But it's I would not agree with Gabe and Sean that this is like one of the greatest matches Ray Mars had. It has a fairly lengthy and fairly calm middle section. And kind of like like matt was saying there is structure to it but it's not like there's not really a great memorable story like i would say you you this is a great match but while it's great in a way we haven't been seeing enough of a ring of honor in this 
little period here. It's not, it, it's great in a way we've seen lots of matches be great where it's lots of action, big fun stretch run, some stiffness. Like you've seen other matches of this quality like this. Anyone listening to this has, um, you know, it's a fun opening settles down for a bit. They go nuts at the end, you know, a couple periods where a guy briefly gets isolated, but doesn't really turn into like a big long story thread, but there's just a different match. The vibe this match has that like matches recently we've been watching haven't had like Matt you were nailed it when like this they've been missing this where it's like what we talked about with the opening where this is another match where they just go balls to the wall at the end where it feels like not many guys have been doing that and for a B show especially to go balls to the wall and just throw all out like like watching this match the middle sometimes gets a slightly dull and there's been a lot of but yet the, they never lose the crowd in that sense like in fact the first time the crowd chants this is awesome for this match is when the match starts slowing down and it's almost as if the crowd is chanting that because they're like they're, they're almost chanting as a way of saying like the match just was awesome and we know it's going to be awesome again in 10 minutes so like we're just appreciating this we're realizing what we're seeing and you know the final i would say last whole like We've seen a lot of matches recently in Ring of Honor where it's kind of slow in the middle and then it only picks up kind of and only picks up for like the final one or two minutes. This is a match where the final I, – I timed it eight minutes is just full throttle. These guys doing everything they can and it's not doing just enough where they're just throwing out their signature moves. I would say as many of their signature spots get countered as get hit in this match like there, there's a lot of inventiveness to this match and a lot of little twists to things that they normally do that are different like they're really putting the extra mile in here like like we mentioned kenta doing a dive to the floor you don't see him doing that in ring of honor the busaiku doomsday device kick you don't see that on every show or even like the you know aries doing the heat seeking heat seeking missile tope not through the bottom rope like he always does but this time doing it where roderick roderick strong staying on the apron has to jump out of the way like the last second so he can basically fly through his legs like all these little extra twists and like the end mat like you said where they're going uh, strong areas are going through a move they do all the time which is the uh the double team power bomb top rope drop kick and then richard struggles and it turns into that whole thing where he's holding onto the turnbuckle and he gets a double stomp and then the kick to the head the alabama slam and by the way man i agree with you if there's a name for that move that isn't Alabama slam. I won't hear it because you know, there's, there's a lot of horrible things in wrestling top of the list, the Confederate flag that get used with the saying of, Oh, you're letting the, you're, you're erasing the South. If you um leave this in. And we, I think, you know, a lot of those are excuses for really awful things, but you know, what is a South erasure, Southern erasure changing the name of the Alabama. Slam, and we will not let the South be erased in that way. <laughs> through the years. It is the goddamn of Alabama slam, but, um, so yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, I would just say it's the final eight minutes of this match. It, it, it's what we need more of on these last two shows of Ring Around, where it felt like eight guys not just trying hard, but trying to have the absolute best match these four guys could have in any setting. Like it was a match where in those final eight minutes, I felt like there's a lot of times where you watch a match on the indies or somewhere, and you go, "This is good," but if they were on a bigger setting, they would do it better. And I think when Ring of Honor is at its best, and this match was like this, you watch a match and you go, if these guys were in the main event of WrestleMania, they'd be doing the same match. Like they're they're doing their 100% effort, their most inventiveness, you know, they're trying just as hard. And I felt like they got pretty close to that here. And I guess my final point would be what this match reminded me of would be uh, – so I've made a point probably a long time ago on the show, but this match reminded me of it. It's been a long time, so I'll bring it up again, which is one of my theories about wrestling is – 
there isn't there, there's a few things I would say that you know are always no's in wrestling are always yeses but I think most things in wrestling are kind of situational dependent like I, I'm not a person where there's a lot of things are there's not a lot of things in wrestling where I would say this is a good thing to do or this is a bad thing to do as much as this is a th- th- good thing to do when blank, you know, in this situation. Like there are so many things in wrestling where if it's in the right setting, in the right amount, it's great. If it's in the wrong setting, in the wrong amount, it's bad. You know, if one wrestler does it, he gets a huge reaction. If one another wrestler does it, he gets no reaction. And I feel like this is a match where there are a lot of of, of times in wrestling where I have felt like – I have seen too many matches like this where there's not quite enough story and there's too many counters just and flips on signature stuff just to do counters and swerves. And you know, it's too many near falls. It go, the stretch run goes on too long. It gets exhausting and it can get numbing. But on this show, after the, like the dry winter we've been having on through the years with a lot of kind of blub B shows, th- this company really needed not just a great match, but a great match like this where it was the opposite, where it's like guys going friggin' nuts, doing everything they can verging on overkill really putting themselves out there lots of inventiveness at the end and little twists and yeah it's not as good as what maybe the high votes on this in my opinion but great match um and after the match the crowd gives a nice ovation and an roh chant as dave price says roh has reclaimed boston so we always love on through the years when the when someone actually says the name of the show um Aries grabs the mic and says he has to take his hat off to Kenta in his farewell to ROH tour and Davey Richards, who he calls the future of ROH. So it is funny that Aries backstage, you know, behind Davey's back, he calls him stupid basically. But to his face, he's like, you're the future of Ring of Honor. Um, he tells Chris Hero and Claudio Casanoli that he and Roddy are getting revenge tomorrow. They're getting their tag titles back tomorrow. They hug Kenta and leave so Kenta can soak up a big thank you Kenta chant alone. Uh, Davey sells the finish for so long that he eventually gets a chant too. And then the crowd then chants, please come back for Kenta. And, I, and the fans kind of get their wish in that he does work Ring of Honor again, but he never works Boston for Ring of Honor again. He does work Connecticut next – Hartford, I believe, in 2007. But this will be your last chance to see him in Braintree, I think. And then um, – we get a clip of Conan backstage somewhere who says he's coming to Ray of Honor. He knows Homicide's got some beef with Jim Cornette, and he has Homicide's back like a car seat. And then we end with um, Jimmy Ray backstage in front of the same chalkboard. But, you know, this is a sign of how low Jimmy was and how much of a funk he was in. He does not even use the chalkboard. But he just says, uh, tonight was supposed to be the start of a new chapter in his career. But instead, ROH continues to allow fans to throw toilet paper at me. I'm sick of it. Something's going to have to change right now. And so that's I, Telegraph. I, I was pretty sick of this toilet paper too at this point, so I'm glad that Jimmy expresses the same sentiment. And so uh, that was Honor Reclaims Boston. Before I get your guys' opinions, we'll frame it with uh, Gabe Sapolsky. So Gabe Sapolsky, once again, he talked to the torch. He loved talking to the torture this time. He uh, talked about, quote, the renewed success in the Boston market, Gabe said, and I quote, we just went to Boston with a strong card from top to bottom. The Boston fans were hungry for us to return and wanted to make sure the card, the show was a success, a success, so we just had to deliver a good card. Everything clicked, and now we are back in the Boston area to stay. Uh, Joe, obviously, uh, uh, what did you think about the show? It was Apparently, you missed the next one or two Boston area shows, so it was not good enough for Joe Gagne. So, um that's one thing for sure. Uh, it was interesting. This is a really lean and mean show because, you know, the DVD time was like two hours and 47 minutes, which is on the – usually these stretch out to, you know, they go right up to three hours. I think this time they were more in the three-hour, 20-minute mark. So yeah. this is pretty, you know, pretty basic wrestling, just 
not hardly any talking. I remember at the time being kind of disappointed Jim Cornette didn't make his way out because I hadn't really seen him, you know, perform live in a way or cut a promo. So we, that was kind we, of a negative to me. We oh, were not disappointed that Cornette was. <laughs> no, I was going to say that was that was a negative at the time for me, but a positive for I'm sure you guys, your enjoyment of this show that it was just kind of all, you know, pretty basic wrestling. You know, things were you know up and down. Some stuff was good, some stuff wasn't as great, but it ended on a high note, which is always good. It ended with the best match and a really exciting. Memorable match, which which always helps. So I, I, you know, as usual, I had a lot of fun with this. Matt, I'll be interested in your thoughts because uh, I feel like we're in kind of a weird position because sometimes I feel like when we review every show in order, like sometimes we're not just reviewing a show, but we're kind of reviewing how it is in the flow of other shows. So like, you know, we've been crying out for a, a better show. Did did you think this achieved that? It was definitely a better show. Like I, I, you know, the main event helped a lot. Like it was a really big difference maker because it was like, the kind of great match we hadn't seen in a while. Like you said, I mean, I don't think that the undercard was like so much of a step above what we'd been seeing. There were a bunch of matches that I thought were pretty drab, you know, especially that rave and cabana match. I thought that was like right in part of the m- most negative things that we've been saying about recent shows. I did like that we didn't have to sit through a cornet promo because um, those have you know, been getting pretty long in the tooth as, as listeners know, I think. Um, I like the opener a lot. Um, I uh, just in terms of being a breath of fresh air. So there were two things on the show that I would describe as breaths of fresh air. So that alone, I think, puts it in an above category. That said, I do not think this was in the pantheon of like great ROH shows or, you know, it certainly won't be on my list of like best shows of 2006, but it probably was the best show of, uh, you know, be- certainly better than anything since, uh, since glory by honor night two. So, you know, that's a, that's a mark in its favor. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think going in, we looked at, I looked up the cage match and this was like the highest rated show for a while in Ring of Honor. And I, I would agree with that. It's, it's, it's probably the best, like you said, the best show since Glory by Honor Night 2. I would say it's, a, it's a good Ring of Honor B show. I would say it's, it's not a great show, but it has one great match worth going out of your way to see. Some good stuff on the other card. Some stuff I really thought was pretty boring. And actually, you know, thank God there was the stuff that was good on the show because, if it did not have like the good stuff up top, you know, kind of bookending it, man, there, 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 there is one, like, there's a middle portion of the show that's maybe as kind of a blah as I've seen a Ring of Honor show be. But one, I, I think this is a show you could safely skip, except for one. This is one of those classic shows where, like, I don't know if it's on on Honor Club or not. I didn't check, unfortunately, in time. But like, this is a, this is a classic show where you could watch the main event. And not miss anything else. I mean, there is some decent stuff on the other card, but this is the kind of the 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 a perfect example of seek out the match, not the show. But it, it will not be a bad show if you watch. It, it is, you know, it, it is an improved show. There was I did have at times the ROH is kind of back vibes, and then sometimes I had to oh this is this this is exactly what we've been disliking recently. So um, it was a mix, up and down. Um, now it's time for plugs. So wait, for us, wait, wait, you skipped Oh, wait, oh, wait, I forgot the Matt feature. of Trophy. Fuck. I well, got to keep writing it down better. Matt, thank I, God. we. I remembered. Um, yeah, I'm giving the Matt of Trophy to that chalkboard. It, it, was, it was the muse of the Lords of the Ring. They created a, a, a memorable promo segment out of it. They, uh, there was a, a great math equation written that was heartwarming as much as it was educational. It was the best use of of a chalkboard in wrestling since Dean Douglas at SummerSlam 1995. So uh, I say 
the chalkboard gets the trophy. You ever give any? You ever give an award to an inanimate object before, Trevor? Uh, I, I, I wish, man. I wish, I wish the objects in my life were better. <laughs> but, uh, um, but no, that, that I think that is very warranted. Um, you were a close second. Eyes wide shut would be a close third. <laughs> um, so for plugs through the years at gmail.com, that is T H R O H for through at Trevor Dame on Twitter at mayor M G F on Twitter. Um, Joe, what do you have to plug? Obviously we talked up top, but anything you want to plug here. I was really hoping Matt F would win his own award. Like <laughs> Brian Danielson does every, uh, every year in the observer awards, but alas, uh, no, uh, I host the five star match game at the voices of wrestling podcasting network. It's a wrestling trivia podcast, a game show type of deal. Matt and Trevor have been on many, many times. We have to find a way to get them back on soon. No, we don't. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, if you ever do like Brian Danielson trivia when he retires, I mean, just a, just an mm. idea that I'm throwing out there, Trevor. I mean, I, I mean, Joe, I I don't I don't know that you I don't know that you could put together an entire show of just Brian Danielson trivia, but if that's something you can swing, I am throwing that out into the world. Oh, that man had a 20-year career in multiple companies. I bet I could do it. That sounds like a challenge. <laughs> would there be a? Would there be a? This is a really dark one, actually. Would there be a a, uh, a list every concu- how many concussions can oh. you name Brian Danielson had? Oh no! Like name every day, every every match. Well, so much for getting him on the show now, Trevor. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's not his fault. He, wrestling's a hard business. No, it, you're, it, you're, you're laughing at it about it, just. He's he's all better now. The doctors say his brain's completely normal. If wrestling's taught us anything in the last ten years, its concussions aren't real, and if you take a couple years off, they all go away. Christian, Danielson, everybody. All right, Trevor. Trevor, just go to an eyes wide shut party, will you? <laughs> well, Matt, I will, but I got to come back in time for our next show, which will be covering the bitter end, which could describe a lot of things in my life. But um, the bitter end would, of course, be the second half of the show, and on paper. That's a great looking card. It has a uh, homicide versus Steve Creel in their feud ending match. It has uh, the tag champs uh, here on Castanoli uh, rematching against Aries and strong for the belt. It's got Kenta versus Matt Seidel. And yet it's not a finally remembered show. So were the people wrong? Or, or were the wrestlers wrong for their performances? We'll find out then. <laughs> um, <laughs> God damn. I, I, I don't know if I've been good on this show today. I, I, I'm sorry, folks, but I'll yeah, be better yeah, next time. You, you've been good, Trevor. Just, you, just, just, <laughs> just go with it. Until next time. Until that next time. Have a good time. Have a great time. <laughs>